no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. Everybody, welcome to No More Room in Hell, number 35. I'm Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How you doing? Greetings and salutations, deadites. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How you doing? I am doing pretty good. It's it's kind of weird, like, because we usually always record on Sundays, so it's like by the time we start, I'm always thinking about, like, how many hours do I got before I'm going to bed for work the next day, but... It is a Saturday, so I, I feel like there's no bounds to what we can get into on this episode. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, really. You're like, what? <laughs> can we go back to Sunday now? Well, well when, you, when you work from home, every day is the same. I, I almost forgot what day it was earlier. It's like that Nine Inch Nails song, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And especially now with my kids being out for uh summer it's like they have no routine either so it just doubles down for my house like what day is it oh okay mm-hmm. <laughs> all right hey, also with us as always it's derek what's up derek how you doing better now because you know uh for the listener's sake as you know a few episodes ago i was like mike where's my birthday present mike where's my birthday <laughs> present well, today, the birthday present finally showed up, and I got a new 4K of Scarface and a Blu-ray of The Orphanage, and I am happy. How are you doing, Mike? <laughs> doing pretty good, and, you know, it, that's just how much I wanted to celebrate your birthday that I was like, you need a continual celebration months after the fact to still <laughs> celebrate. So I was like, as long as the gifts are still rolling in, it, you're still celebrating, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to return the favor soon. So, you know, so we'll, I'll talk I fear about that more. But yeah, I'm doing good, Mike. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, uh, later on for our main features, we're going to be talking about a couple movies. And when I was choosing these picks, it was – Kind of a half callback to, I believe, was it Venom, your picks, when you did movies inspired by Evil Dead? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was partially that, because I I liked uh, the movies we covered. I liked the source material being Evil Dead. And I've always kind of, you know, been, been interested in whenever you kind of have like a landmark movie or something that kind of changes trajectory or just something that's out there such as like the first, I would say the first two evil deads at least. And you kind of wonder, okay, what, what did Raimi see probably coming up that would inspire him to do something like that? So you kind of look into it and you uh, find out, and it's not that I didn't already know these movies exist. You know, I, I've seen, I had seen them both before, but um, I just, you know, felt like, hey, what a good time to revisit them and pull kind of like the opposite. So a couple movies that uh, might have inspired Raimi and 
when I say inspire, you know, that's kind of a gray area statement, too, because, you know, the burning topic that we'll get into or burning question we'll get into later kind of addresses this, too. Um, but I won't speak too much about it now just because we have other stuff to get into. But the movies we will be discussing are Equinox from 1970 and House or House or House. Everyone pronounces it kind of different. House, yeah, from 77, I believe. And uh, we'll get into all kind of like how we think they might have been inspired. I mean, there's some very on the nose obvious stuff, but um, we'll get into all that when we discuss the movies. But uh, before that, we'll do a little catch up with what we've been watching since we last recorded. So, Venom, you're up first. Uh, Tell us about your first thing. All right. Um, I was flipping around the other day looking for some 2021 horror movies. And uh, as you guys know, I am a fan of supernatural uh, horrors. um, And if there's a Ouija board involved, I'm I'm even more invested. So. Uh, the, the movie I bring to the table today is called Seance. It is uh, written and directed by Simon Barrett. It is basically the story of, you know, these girls, uh, they, they go to a girl's school. There's, of course, a rumor of a ghost that can be seen in one of the bathrooms. Um, the movie obviously starts with a bunch of girls kind of playing a prank on one of the um, more timid girls in the group. She ends up getting so scared that she actually jumps out of her bedroom window. And the movie just kind of goes on from there, trying to solve the mystery of if, you know, if there is a malevolent spirit in this school or if there are actually human antagonists afoot. So the movie kind of goes from there. That's basically the opening scene I just described. Um, Obviously, very independent film. I I hadn't even heard of it until I was looking for movies to watch last week. And um, like I said, because of the subject matter, I decided to give it a shot. And you know what? This movie actually wasn't terrible. Now, you are going to be dealing with a lot of the stereotypical characters. You know, you've got the bitch. You've got the good girl. You've got the the timid kind of scholastic type. Um, you've got the one male character in the whole movie who's basically like the janitor handyman at the girls' school. And um, and there's a little bit of a mystery, as I said. Um, you know, throughout the movie, you're not 100% sure if there actually are spirits at this school or if this is some kind of conspiracy. Um, performances are fine. I'm not going to say they were good. They were acceptable. I mean, they didn't frustrate me. And you guys got to realize that when I watch a horror movie with a young cast, I I get easily frustrated. And for whatever it's worth, this movie actually didn't frustrate me. Now, ultimately, this movie's um, not very violent. We get a couple of decent kills here and there. But for the most part, like I said, it's more of a, a whodunit type thing. Like I said, just trying to figure out if there actually is a ghost or not. Um, it, it, the movie ends up culminating in what I felt was a very satisfying ending, a fun ending that answers all questions that were had. It doesn't leave you with any lingering questions. It's a, it's a very ABC film, you know, it's like nothing, nothing too special. They didn't like go outside of the box too much. We have the same horror tropes, jump scares, things like that. But for whatever it's worth, for a little independent movie that I hadn't heard of, I was mildly impressed with this. Uh, good editing, very good score. Um, like I said, some decent gore here and there, not a whole lot, but you know, some a couple of good kills. So yeah, that is Seance 2021. Um, the movie literally just came out last month, so I'm not sure if either of you guys have seen it yet. No, I was actually curious. Uh, 
I I'm looking at it right now and uh yeah, Simon Barrett, he's the I, actually we talked about a movie he wrote recently, Venom, you and me, uh, you're next actually. Mm-hmm. He's, the, he's the writer of that movie and he was actually I think the lion fit the the tiger face killer in that movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh yeah, I haven't really seen any of his like besides like probably the only things I've seen of his directing stuff is like VHS two. I think he directed the wraparound story oh, of that one. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know anything about this. It sounds interesting. You know, I, you know, I'm good for. A, I'm actually going to be talking about a Ouija movie in a minute. Sound <laughs> it's way worse than this one. So, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'll check this one out eventually. Yeah, like I said, don't expect you know don't expect the world from this movie. But like I said, for the most part, the the types of situations and dialogue readings that make me cringe or roll my eyes for the most part are absent in this movie. Like I said, yes, it is a cast of all young girls, you know, probably like eighteen to twenty two or something. But because um, it's it's not a high school, it's like a, a girls' higher education school. Uh, I don't think it's quite a boarding school, but I, I don't remember what they called it in the movie. But yeah, um, yeah, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised, at least in the sense that when the movie was over, I was like, yeah, that was pretty decent. You know, I'm not gonna go so far as to call it a good or great movie, but considering how much horror disappoints uh, somebody like me who's been watching the genre for so long. Like ha- it seems uh, sometimes it seems like half the new movies I watch are garbage. And for this one not to be garbage, eh, it's a mild victory. So I say, yeah, check it out. If you get a chance, I'm sure it's available on VOD. Like I said, it came out uh, early June. So still fairly fresh. Yeah. I have not seen that one, but I have seen it like in a lineup of movies that like, mm-hmm. you know, just are trying to, pick a movie and i definitely scrolled by it just went with something else but i am interested to the premise seemed pretty interesting so i yeah, think the problem, i will get around to it i think if, if if you're flipping around looking through movies and you see this movie poster it's probably one that you're gonna skip because the movie poster looks almost exactly like black christmas 2019 it does <laughs> i'm actually looking at it right now it, yeah it it's does. almost a carbon copy of that but but the but i will take this movie over black christmas 2019 any day of the week that the women in this movie didn't infuriate me, so <laughs> rock on. Hell yeah. Nice. All right, Derek, what do you got first up? Well, uh, I have been watching new stuff, but most of it's for other shows, unfortunately. So uh, I can't really bring them up here because I'll, I'll, I'll say I watched Kendisha recently, but that's going to be for another show. So look out for that one in the future. But, uh, I, I will talk about this movie, which I did record kind of a show for, but the only reason I'm talking about it here now is because it was a Patreon exclusive for a Legion podcast where I did uh, the Ouija experiment experiment with Bo Ransdale recently, <laughs> and we talked about a movie known as Ouija Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, ah, I'm on board. <laughs> I I feel like I feel like Ouija is becoming like the new shark thing where you can just throw anything after the name Ouija and it's the new Amityville. Well, 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 well hilarious you said that, Mike, because there's actually a Ouija shark. <laughs> yeah, there is. I am not shocked. Yeah, I think I have seen that box before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, Bo did that with Richard Schmidt from uh, Hello, This Is the Doom Show on the same show. But Ouija Mummy is. 
it, it's an hour long. It has that going for it. it. It's super low budget. You could tell this movie is super low budget when you watch it because uh, pretty much the beginning scene is a uh, about this young this uh, archaeologist woman who brings these ancient Egyptian artifacts and she brings them in a regular cardboard box. So you know what you're working with right when you get that. And uh, <laughs> the acting is interesting. There's some better than others. Of course, you get into like a lot of this movie. I'm not going to really knock the movie on the acting because pretty much you know it's just the director because the director is actually one of the actors in the movie. Uh, he's not really in the movie though. He's not like one of the main characters, but uh, yeah, it, it gets there. You know, there's some mixture, and you see like some uh, uh, legends of the low budget cinema realm because uh, also in this movie, and he's actually my favorite character of the movie is Joel D. Winecoop, <laughs> who Don <laughs> talked about recently uh, when he talked about Rot. He plays a character named Karate Irvin, who is a Chinese food delivery man who practices karate in the alleyway of the Chinese food restaurant. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's hilarious how his character... It's a... The problem with the movie for me, and it's, it has a, a, the 40, it's like 45 minutes of buildup until the last like 15 minutes of the movie, which means a lot of like the Ouija mummy stuff doesn't happen till the very end of the movie. So you you have a lot of buildup till that. And there's a lot of scenes that they could have cut out. And maybe the thing that me and Bo came with when we, talked about it, you could watch that if you are a Patreon subscriber of that, is pretty much if they sprinkled out, like, she was turned into the Ouija Mummy slowly, and maybe, like, she doesn't even remember she was a Ouija Mummy and killed people throughout the hunt hour, it would have been a little mm-hmm. bit better concise, but unfortunately, it's all at the very end, and, you know, it's kind of creative in that sense where, you know, you never think of you know, make, uh, the the way that the mummy looks and some of the kills are kind of fun at the end. But it's all in, like, a, that 15-minute sequence. And, you know, it's just a slog to get through through the first, like, 45 minutes of the movie. But, you know, I'm not going to knock it too much. I'm going to say check at your own risk, maybe. You know, it's nothing I would recommend to anybody. But, yeah, just check it out for, like, the least of the last 15 minutes. You get a who. Uh, I won't say who it happens in which character, but uh, let's just say somebody gets their foot ripped off and beat to death with their own foot, which was fucking hilarious. <laughs> you know, that sounds so, fun. Yeah, you know, it's fun for what it is. I'm, these low budget movies, I I know what you know. If this was like more than an hour, I would be more mad at it because I see movies that are like this level of budget that are like two hours long. And we're more of a slog to get through, if you know what I'm getting. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't the worst thing I seen. It wasn't the best thing either. Ouija mummy. Yeah, that doesn't sound like that's the best. really the really the objective of those kind of movies should be to make them fun. Because I, I would I would assume anyone going into a movie to watch called Ouija mummy. You know, they're not expecting 
cinematic but, gold, but it's like just give me something fun and interesting, and I'll be okay with it. But, yeah, was, it, um, a major negative thing also about this is uh, there's a scene where the guy who's like legitimately shopping for like flowers for his girlfriend, and it's like ten minutes of the movie. It's like in Walgreens. They even show like in Walgreens in the movie. It's fucking wow. Oh, oh and, and the melodramatic music playing like. Do, 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 do. It's like, wow, wow. <laughs> oh man. Uh, all right. Well, first up for me, uh, check this out on Netflix. Kind of went into it blind watching, and, and it's called a uh, classic horror story. Have either of you guys seen this one yet? I did. I started this. I never. I didn't get a chance to finish it. Not that I, I didn't hate it, but. So this is an Italian movie. Um, it's, uh, this one's getting a lot of mixed reaction. I happen to like it a little bit more. I think I, I, you know, I'm more on the positive side though. It's another one of those movies where they're building towards something. And that third act is going to probably divide people. Uh, I think it's a movie where the, you know, in a sense, there is some decent gore, but there's obviously places that they probably could have gone a little over the top because that's the type of movie it seemed like they were building to. Uh, basically, the setup is uh, some friends are they I believe they rent like a bus and they're going on like a camping trip or some type of vacation, get in a crash, wake up kind of in the middle of a big clearing in the woods. Don't know how or why exactly they ended up in that spot as opposed to like where the bus supposedly crashed. And then we kind of go from there. Like I, to say much more would be giving away stuff that gets revealed throughout the movie because you, it kind of, I think it kind of plays with genres you think it might go towards just because of the setup. But then what we get is a little bit different and you can make a argument that by the time the third act rolls around, they're trying to specifically make a statement about cinema maybe the audience too and um yeah i i liked it you know probably not a top 10 of the year or anything but this is one of those cases where like a movie drops on netflix with pretty much no advanced like advertising or promos to even know anything about it and sometimes it's the best um i i tend to not do a ton of blind watching these days just because i don't have the time um, and you know, there's so many movies out there that even if I haven't watched a trailer for, I at least know something going on going in that, that just takes up most of my time watching. So it was kind of nice just to find something, um, that I knew nothing about, but, um, yeah, I would say watch it. It's definitely worth watching. I, I would even say like, if we came up on a week where we, didn't have a movie to do for fresh cuts this could be a candidate for it because it's still relatively new i I think it was like a few weeks ago that it dropped um and because like i've heard so many mixings from people you know it'd be like well what do we got to say about it but um yeah i it's you know without you guys having seen it it's hard to discuss too much and even even if you had how much we would even want to spoil because it's still relatively new but yeah, classic horror story on Netflix. I say check it out and kind of experience where it goes, and you know, we'll, I guess I'll find out once you guys have seen the whole thing. Um, all right, so Venom, back to you. 
Was that Venom driving by on a bus? They might or have is Venom just still on mute? Yeah, yeah. I, I decided to quit the podcast. I'm that not- was that was the bus from a classic horror story driving by. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, with the theme this week being films that inspired, that may have inspired the Evil Dead, I kind of wanted to do a little bit of outside research on that as well. So. As I was looking up titles and things that have similarities with The Evil Dead, I ran into a couple of movies that I was actually able to uh, get a chance to watch. Um, One of them is from 1981, and it is called The Hand. Um, This film, this is is a weird one, because this this movie is written and directed by Oliver Stone. But I I don't think most people would think that this was an Oliver Stone movie. Now... Uh, The movie stars Michael Caine as a comic book artist who loses his hand in an accident. Uh, He replaces his hand with a kind of advanced metal uh, fake hand. And then his hand that was severed goes off and starts uh, going on a murderous rampage. Hmm. Sound familiar? Anyway, um, as I said, it stars Michael Caine. This movie is really more drama than horror. But I, but you still really see a lot of the similarities uh, between this and Evil Dead. Obviously, it's going to be specific to the hand, to all that severed hand stuff that they do in Evil Dead Two. But you know, you can you can still see, especially because this came out uh, what the year before mm-hmm. or the year of the original Evil Dead. So mm-hmm. who knows? It was, uh, became an inspiration maybe for Evil Dead Two. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a pretty good movie. I'm not going to say that it's a stellar film by any stretch, but I think Oliver Stone, you know, tells a good story. Michael Caine is always Michael Caine. He's, you know, he's great in just about everything he's in. This is a, a much younger Michael Caine than we're used to. Like I said, this is 1981. Um but yeah, I mean, you get a lot of the same kind of set pieces with the hand stalking ra- random characters, <laughs> grabbing them by the throat, blah, blah, blah. Um, though I will say that this is a lot better than any of the previous Severed Hand movies that may have come out before that. People may remember stuff like The Crawling Hand, which I, I believe came out in the 50s sometime, um, where that one was basically an astronaut that went up into space. He was um, He was exposed to some kind of, you know raised while out in space uh he ends up crashing the spaceship on the way back he dies but his severed hand goes on to uh live a fulfilling life of murder and mayhem so yeah that uh but but obviously being from the 50s the very schlocky you know uh kind of sci-fi drive-in flick whereas the hand from 1981 you could tell it's a legitimate attempt at a film you know i mean this is oliver stone he's not really making a whole lot of parodies so uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen this or not. Like I said, it's a really obscure film, but yeah, I, I found it in my uh, in my research for Evil Dead inspirations. And a- as I'm watching it, I'm like, yeah, Raimi had to have seen this. I mean, there there there's some shots in the movie even that look uh, directly from Evil Dead too. Vice versa, of course, but y- you know what I mean. So yeah, that is the Hand, 1981. I, any either of you guys see this one? Oh yeah, I've seen it. Plenty of times. I own it. I own it on DVD and Blu-ray. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's actually the second Killer Hand movie of that year. Oh, what was the other one? Demonoid. Oh, I forgot about Demonoid. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which uh, 
I actually prefer it's a it's a little bit more fun. Yeah, it's uh, more shocky. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I kind of like that. That movie has it's the demons jumping from hand to hand, <laughs> <laughs> which is you know it's kind of fun in that sense. But uh, the hand's fun. My favorite moments like the, the the part where Michael Caine actually loses his hand and he's like, "Holy fucking Jesus Christ, fuck, <laughs> fuck." Oh, uh, yeah. It's always good to see a proper English gentleman <laughs> just snap. <laughs> Great. Like, uh, it's not the weirdest Oliver Stone movie that he ever did, because his first movie, Seizure, is fucking weird as fuck. Well, I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, it's 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 kind of like, it's weird, because it kind of has, like, this weird story where they resurrect, like, these ghosts of, like, a midget torturer <laughs> in a dominatrix. And they wow. go around torturing a town. Yeah. Like a little midget. You gotta see it for that bit. Good times. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I've never... I actually have not seen The Hand, but it sounds like something I do want to see. Because it sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you being such a big Evil Dead fan, you should check out all of these movies. There actually is a top ten list online. Um, I should have written it down, actually. But I, I know mean, the Beast ha- of Five Fingers is another one from like the forties. Yeah, yeah. But I, there was a, there was actually a top ten list of movies that inspired or that potentially could have inspired Evil Dead, and that's kind of what I was working off of. Where I saw because that's where I found the hand, um, and now the screaming starts. Demonoid, uh, you know, movies like that. Obviously, Equinox was on there. Um, House was not actually, but. You know, at, at the same time, maybe uh, this particular website, because it wasn't like a, one of the big horror sites. It was just like a little dinky one. So who knows? Maybe they're not even familiar with Haosu. But uh, yeah, I, I don't remember every movie that was on it. But, you know, we, we just talked about like half of them. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, Derek. Back to you. All right. I watched a movie finally that I've been wanting to see for a while. It's from 2015. It is known as Lumberjack Man. Ah. Have any of you guys seen this? No, sir. It's a slasher film that takes place at a church camp where they're doing like a spring break filled with you know, fun under the sun and stuff like that. And they, they have like this pancake thing and pretty much what the backstory of this movie is. It's about a demon lumberjack man who was killed for his pancake recipe. (laughs) So when he comes back, he is pretty much harvesting the blood of his victims for the syrup for his flapjacks. Oh my god, I must own this film. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's you know it, it has a crazy weird premise. It's kind of goofy. Some of the acting's kind of shaky, but you do have like uh, appearance by Michael Madsen in this movie too. <laughs> ah. You know, but you know the kills are kind of fun. You know, pretty much there's a scene where this guy's over like these giant pancakes. The lumberjack man just fucking slices him in half in front, and the blood just squirts all over like the big giant thing of butter and shit. And there's a scene later. Then there's a scene later where like they're eating pancakes, 
and uh, one of the pancakes is a dude's face. <laughs> so, yeah, I was cracking up when I found out what the actual premise of this movie is about. And, you know, it's kind of goofy. It's kind of like a... I could watch... This is kind of like a shut-your-brain-off movie, like m- most slasher movies kind of are in that sense. But I like that this one has, like, a supernatural hinge to it. And, you know, it's kind of... It just cracks me up that it's about pancakes. <laughs> I am sold. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's very interesting. <laughs> Flip the script on some pancakes. Yeah, if you look at the poster out there, Lumberjack Man himself looks pretty fucking badass. <laughs> wow. Cool. Um all right. Uh next up for me. So we all know American Horror Story is coming back in the fall, but in the meantime, they started their American Horror Stories, plural there, their episode-to-episode anthology started a few weeks ago. They have four episodes currently out. Um, So I checked those out pretty much because uh, they're doing an episode a week. The the first week they did two episodes because the first uh, the first two it's like a part one and a part two, and then we've had two since. And I gotta say, so far I'm pretty positive on them. I, I want to say the latest episode, episode four, stars Danny Trejo is kind of like a killer Santa. I'll <laughs> San- I'll, yeah, I'll put Santa in quotations. Yeah, um, it's. To me, it's definitely, like, story-wise, it's probably the most basic, simple premise. Like, I do, I, I'll, I'll use the word, it's the weakest of the four, but it's not really bad in that way. It's just, you know, there's not a whole lot to it. Uh, the first two, it was a part one and part two based on the murder house from season one. It's kind of like a continuation from, uh, well, no, not not a continuation as in, like, we're getting updates on the characters from murder house, but just basically like, okay, what's up with the murder house now? Uh, new people have moved in and you kind of go from there with that story. I, I actually thought it was pretty good. It's weird. Cause a lot of people didn't like them. And I don't know if this is, these are people that didn't see the season of murder house to begin with, because to me, it tonally and it very much falls in line with what murder house was. Obviously it's a more condensed story. So, you know, it's a lot smaller scale of a story, but I still thought it was pretty good. Like if you liked American horror story, murder house season, I think you would like those first two episodes. And then the, the, the third episode technically was kind of like a haunted film drive-in themed episode, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, So, so far I would say I'm enjoying the series. You know, obviously with this type of thing, there's going to be lesser episodes or episodes you like less. And but that's just kind of how it goes with anthologies. You know, when it comes to anthologies, you usually judge it by the entire body of work, not you know one or two bad episodes or lesser episodes aren't going to spoil the whole thing. Or at least that's you know my outlook on it but so far i would say check it out and like if you whoever is behind it it doesn't take too long to get caught up and then once you are caught up you're only having to invest like one episode's worth a week so it's 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 a real easy thing to throw on 
Uh, it, a new episode drops every Thursday. And no, this is not a paid advertisement from Hulu or anything like that. <laughs> but I mean, it sound the way I'm breaking it down, it almost sounds like it. But that's where it is, Hulu. Um, if they're not simulcasting on FX at this point, I, I'd be surprised if like one day, like maybe in between seasons, they don't throw it on there. But as of now, it's just a Hulu. But have either of you guys seen any of the American Horror Stories yet? Not yet. I- I just watched the last one. Like I, I was going to start watching them last week. So I went to Hulu and I was going to go just kind of look up, peruse what episodes were available. And as soon as I saw Danny Trejo in a Christmas outfit, I'm like, I'm watching this one now. And since it's an anthology, since it's a week to week anthology, I guess I got lucky that it wasn't like a part two of a two parter, but mm-hmm. I just decided, fuck it. I, you know, I love Danny Trejo like unconditionally. I love him in his terrible movies. I love him in his good movies. So when I saw him, I'm like, yeah, let me jump in here. And so that's the only one I've seen. And yeah, I had a pretty good time with it. I'm not going to say it's like magnificent or anything like that. But I mean, it was fun. And, you know, considering the love I have for Danny Trejo. Yeah, it just made sense to check it out. And yeah, I enjoyed it. Coming soon. Yeah. Attack. Badasses trilogy with Venom. Nice. Yeah, I I feel like the Danny Trejo one was pretty much like that's the type of thing you expect on like you know a condensed anthology type story where you know they're not trying to make this deep, rich, like overly thoughtful story. It's just like you just want to be entertained for what is it an hour maybe forty five. Actually, no, this one I think that one was like the shortest. I think it was like thirty eight minutes, where the other ones tend to be. 45 or up but which is fine because you know with that kind of story it's like i just want to see danny trejo kill people in cool ways <laughs> pretty much that's what you are tuning into that episode for but i thought it was successful in that sense um so yeah check that out if it sounds interesting and then i'll get back to venom for his final selection okay well i Admittedly, I haven't been watching as many movies as I would like. I've, uh, for some reason, I've kind of jumped headlong into gaming over the last couple of weeks. I think because I bought the PS5 and uh, Xbox uh, Series X fairly soon after they came out, but I didn't like start using them like crazy. I guess I, I, I'm in that stage now where I'm like, ooh. So uh, anyway, the point is, is that. Um, Rather than I'm not going to talk about a video game, I usually leave that stuff up to Mike. But uh, <laughs> what I am going to talk about is something else that inspired that may have inspired the Evil Dead franchise. And that is an episode of Monsters. Hopefully uh, you guys listening to me are remember the show Monsters from flashbacks. Exactly, man. Some great ones. Uh, 88 to 90 lasted for uh, what, two or three, se- three seasons, I believe. Um, the season two premiere was an episode called The Face, um, with two burglars trying to rob an old lady. During the robbery, the old lady um, basically bites uh, one of the robbers, and in the process, uh, the robber accidentally kills the woman. And then uh, they leave the house after getting everything that they're going to get out of there, and then... uh, the burglar that was bitten starts going through some really cool, like body horror stuff. And I bring this up because it reminds me very much of the split between good Ash and evil Ash in uh, army of darkness. If you guys remember that scene, 
how, you know, it, it was kind of gross, but really kind of funny more than anything, especially with, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell um, delivering some of the funniest lines in the movie during that scene. But this movie, um, it's not so much that the burglar is splitting off into two. It's that he's actually becoming the old woman. Um, this isn't like a lycanthropy type thing. This is literally like basically first her face starts growing out of the palm of her hand, the, the place where he she bit him. He literally looks down and sees her face growing in his hand. And basically what's happening is throughout the episode, the old lady is kind of replacing the burglar so that by the end of the episode, spoilers, sorry, folks. Um, basically it's not the burglar anymore. It is the old woman. He's completely transformed into the old woman. And then the episode kind of ends with another pair of burglars, then breaking into the burglar's house. So obviously that's going to start a nice, uh, Mobius strip of action, but yeah, I don't know if, uh, Mike, I know you're very familiar with monsters. I believe you actually reviewed it, uh, for, um, what evil episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember yep, uh, this back. episode, The Face? Uh, yeah, I vaguely, I can't remember what season this was on, because by the time we got to going through Monsters, we only did the first two seasons. Are the evil episodes retired technically before we got to the third season? Gotcha. But I, there's still episodes from the third season I just remember, like, from memory. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, I thought that was a pretty cool episode from what I remember. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I was a fan big time of that show and Tales from the Dark. I mean, Monsters was basically like unofficial continuation of Tales from the Dark Side because a lot of the same <laughs> crew and yeah. people involved in making it were there. And like these are the exactly the type of like kind of like bold ideas that could show up on that show at any time. I mean, sometimes yeah. you would get episodes that were more standard stuff, but sometimes they would go high concept. Within it was, it was really cool, and yeah, I yeah. I vaguely do remember that episode. Yeah, yeah, this was um the season two premiere, so I'm sure you guys would have talked about it on the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, because yeah. I don't know if you remember, but like the guy, like at one point he took his shirt off, and like there were two faces on his back. Basically, what was also happening is after the old woman cursed him, everybody that he killed, their face was growing on his body somewhere before. Before the full transformation. Why did I review this one when I was on there? I mean, we review that fucking Mandrake one. I like the Mandrake one. Oh, that one's fucking it's, awful. It is awful. Just wrong, it. wrong place, wrong time. The Mandrake. Uh, so <laughs> there are certain episodes we'll never be forgiven for getting people to watch. Just so see that that demons one with fucking uh, what the fuck's that guy's name? Richard Mull. so yeah folks if you're interested in seeing yet something else that potentially could have inspired not evil dead but at least the franchise because like i said i'm referencing specifically you know the split between good ash and evil ash in uh army of darkness but yeah if you're interested check it out i'm not sure where monsters is available to stream but if you find it it's season two episode one i think it's on prime right now Oh, even better. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's probably like straight VHS rips because I don't think they've done anything with those shows other than like, you know, copy them straight from VHS to a disc, if that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Derek, what do you got up finally? Got a movie from 2013. 
called the Banshee Chapter. Have any of you guys seen this one? Nope. I don't think so. Pretty much the reason I checked this out is because uh, it was Brian's B-pick on uh, Horror in the House of Salmons recently. And uh, I always wanted to check it out. And uh, it's cosmic. It's pretty, pretty much it's about a journalist who she is trying to figure out what happened to her friend's because her friend left a video and he suddenly disappeared and there's no trace of him. And so she goes on an investigation and pretty much what she discovers is that there's been a multiple disappearances that involved this chemical that was a research government chemical. Uh, and it's saying what this chemical does is it enhances your pleal gland. And what these people see are these beings from a different world or reality. Does that kind of sound familiar? Yeah, just a little. It's <laughs> This is a version of H.P. Lovecraft's From Beyond. A version of Brian Usna's From Beyond. <laughs> Stork Gordon, yeah. Stork Gordon, sorry, sorry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a it's based off that short story by Lovecraft, and I dig this movie a lot. The way that they change it up, kind of putting like that government spin on it, putting like that red tape spin on it. You get to see like uh, people being researched and tested on with this shit, mm. and uh, it has a great performance by Ted Levine in it, who plays <laughs> like this. What his character is. It's fucking awesome. He pretty much plays Hunter S. Thompson in this movie. Because <laughs> he's a writer that this dropped acid and this goes crazy and, you know, he got arrested a few times. And, uh, yeah, and he actually wears some, like, crazy outfits and hats like Hunter S. Thompson used to wear. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. And he, he pretty much hooks up with this guy and uh, they end up investigating and finding out what's actually happening together. And, yeah, they see some fucking crazy, distorted people and shit. People with black eyes and distorted faces and distorted hands and shit. It gets fucking weird and crazy. It's a great movie. If you like Lovecraft and you haven't seen the Banshee chapter, hmm. check it out. I think I will. Yeah, same. Sounds interesting and potentially fun, too. Um... Okay, so rotating back to me for my final thing, I am actually going to bring up some gaming. So <laughs> everyone might assume, oh, let's get our Resident Evil uh, 8 uh, update, but <laughs> yeah, I actually still in the have house? something completely different. <laughs> no, <laughs> nope, but I have a completely different game to talk about, and that's because uh, for July, one of the free... PlayStation Plus games was Plague Tale of Innocence or Plague Tale Innocence, um, and this is a game I hadn't originally played when it for, hadn't. Let me clear that up. I've said that so fast. This is a game I hadn't played when it first came out. Always had heard good things about it. Was somewhat on my radar. So when it got announced as being free, I was like, "Well, what better time to snatch it up?" So this basically takes place uh, what back in like the 
I'm thinking like the Crusades era, maybe um, in Europe. And uh, you're basically playing as the older sister um, to kind of the matriarch of a village. And uh, the Crusades come in to kind of take over and she escapes. It's largely a stealth style game, but at the same time going on, there's the huge plague that's coming from a massive amount of rats <laughs> and it's pretty disgusting, but it makes for a really fun game. Now the majority of this game is kind of like your stealth style game where you're constantly hiding, peeking around corners, you know, throwing things to divert attention. So, you know, if you're totally just not into those games, if you can't get into them, you're probably not going to enjoy it. But even if you're just, I would say, slightly okay with heavily stealth games, I would say definitely get this. The story is awesome. The voice acting in this is great. Uh, relationship between the sister and the little brother, kind of how she's old enough to understand what's going on, where he's more, you know, like in the you know six years old range, I think, and you know stuff is going on around him. He doesn't see the bigger picture. Of a lot of things going on, so it's it's kind of heartbreaking the way she has to kind of protect him in some ways, but also there's at points where she gets so frustrated where you know she just has to like come clean with exactly what's going on. Um, I've had to fight. I don't even know if they consider them boss fights in this so much. But I, that's the best way I could describe them, just where, you know, the little brother might get apprehended by some dude in a bunch of armor and you have to rescue him, um, get him back. And just the way the uh, the uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the battle, but the uh, what do you call it, Venom? The, like the mechanics of you fighting stuff. Uh, the combat, that's what I'm looking for. The oh. combat mechanics are pretty good for, for being a game where you don't really rely much on like weapons and stuff, just the creativeness and how you have to fight and, you know, navigate your way around. If you do happen to get caught, um, it's, it's pretty cool. It, it's, it's really fun. And, you know, being at, we're pretty much at the end of July now, if, you're interested at all in this game you probably got what three to five more days before they switch to the new game so by the time you're listening to this episode you probably even have less time like maybe a day <laughs> or two so i would even if like because a lot of times with uh playstation plus games even if i know i don't have time to like get into them right away i'll just download them onto the system so i have them because uh, as long as you're the uh, subscriber to the plus then you have access to play them time. So I would say, even if you don't have time to play it now, just get it. So you have it on your system and check it out when you can. Uh, have either of you ever played this game? No, I started it. Cause I, I had seen the trailer and it looked really interesting. Like they, the, the, in the, I remember in the trailer, that scene where just like a wave of rats is just coming down the street towards the character. It, it, it uh -huh. looks like, it looks like world war Z, but with rats, um, and I remember seeing that image and thinking, all right, this looks cool. Uh, so I also went ahead and downloaded it. But the problem is, is just like you said, it is very much a stealth oriented game. And I unfortunately hate stealth oriented games. <laughs> I just don't have the past. I don't have the patience for them usually. Like, you know, Metal Gear Solid and stuff like that. We have to be sneaking around a lot. It just I don't know. 
I'm more into classic first-person shooters, just lots of action. Give me a gun and something to shoot, and I'm happy. Um, I, I probably made it less than an hour into the game. Like Once the stealth mechanics started getting like really thick, that's where I kind of just started to lose interest. I would love to watch someone play the game though like you know because it does have a very cinematic feel to it i mean it probably one from beginning to end it probably feels very much like a you know theatrical film mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah i just don't have the patience for it i mean it's the same reason Did i you... didn't play evil within because uh too much stealth um it, it's like i every horror game that comes out i will at least try it and once i get to a mechanic that i know is going to wear thin on me quick i, I just stop playing did you did you get far enough into it to where like you were actually actively dealing with the rats and using like fire and light to like combat them and all that stuff? Or I don't think so. Because no. I think it does. Pay That's some bullshit bit. alone. The dark bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I because sometimes when you're actually dealing with the rats themselves, it it's kind of switches from stealth to using your surroundings to try to get by them and around them. But definitely like. I would say like the first hour or two, you you know there's a plague going on, and obviously because if you've heard anything about the game, you know there's like it's coming from the rats. But the, yeah, the first couple hours, the rats are more talked about than seen. But it's like once you get that first kind of avalanche of rats coming at you, from then on, for so far at least, it's been pretty steady. Like if someone, if a person's not going to murder you, then you're always in danger of these uh, plague-infected rats. <laughs> There's a lot of running, too, where, like, if, you, if, you, if you're running through a village and you don't get to, like, the door to open quick enough, then cut to a, a cutscene of you being bashed in the head by an, uh, a soldier. Um, and there's just no mercy for murdering kids. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather just play Monster Hunter. <laughs> monster I have I have been playing Super Mario Deluxe or the new monster Super Hunter Mario Deluxe with my kids. <laughs> yeah, Monster Hunter the game's better than the movie. I'll just put that out there. Well, oh, Jesus. I would hope so. A watery shit is better than Monster Hunter the movie. Oh, you finally seen it? Yeah, I did, unfortunately. <laughs> How about Ron Perlman's wig, dude? Oh god. Oh, Jesus. I had mercifully forgotten. <laughs> and the talking cat chef. <laughs> I don't know if he was worse there or in Godzilla 98. Oh, uh, that's great. Or not Godzilla 98. Um, Pacific Rim. Sorry, yeah. Pacific. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, too much. But uh, yeah, all I'm playing right now is Doom Eternal, which I guess is kind of horror adjacent. I mean, I'm in hell killing demons, so. <laughs> the game is over a year old, but uh, just last week the Series X and Series S 4K upgrades for the game came out. So I'm just I'm playing it again, and it's just gorgeous. The ray tracing looks amazing. I mean, yeah, uh, the gaming nerds out there, man, if you, have, if you have Xbox Game Pass and you got some time, just check out Doom Eternal for even, like, 15 minutes. It's so stellar. I, I can't get over it. All right. Um, I was going to say, the only, other, the only other major thing I watched was the Woodstock 99 doc, which is... It's covering a horror show, kind of. <laughs> <In a weird laughs> I haven't watched that yet. That went How wrong that? with that. <sighs> it's really good. Um, and I want to say I think it's part of a series because it's 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 called like Music Box. I think that's like the 
umbrella it's under and it, the Woodstock 99 doc was labeled like season one, episode one. So I'm assuming that they're going to do more of them on different music related topics. Sure. But uh, there was a lot of good. I mean, it was they covered a lot. You know, there's there's some kind of iffy stuff from commentators in it, you know, who tries to get blamed for what. Um, but I found it interesting that the two aspects I really liked was one, they kind of pulled back the veil a little bit on the original Woodstock, like how basically most people, especially now, because we're so many years removed from it, that a lot of people think it was all, you know, flower, power, and fun. Oh, hell shit. no! Yeah. Because that's what the documentary on Woodstock. Well, I mean, we've like, already but, we've already got a forty-year-old Woodstock documentary that goes over all of that stuff. I, I guess they were probably just recapping for people who hadn't seen that one. Because that, yeah, that's like an Oscar-winning like, documentary that Woodstock, the original Woodstock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I what, mean, that's what Charlton Heston watches in the Omega Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they bring up a lot of points that, like, even at that one, you know, they were heavily trying to rip people off with like concessions and all that kind of stuff and the conditions weren't exactly great. But I, I think the funny thing about this is they said a lot of the issues they thought were going to happen at Woodstock 94, they were able to avoid it, but then it just happened 10 times worse for 99. Uh, yeah. The new oh, metal Olympus. fest of Woodstock 99. <laughs> yeah. It would live shit. I, I, I don't understand this. Like, what is this Limp Bizkit fandom resurgence? Is it like 50% legit fandom and 50% it's, it's ironic fandom? Watson. What's that? I blame Watson. Yeah, yeah, Watson's definitely one to blame. Uh, but, I, but the thing is, I can't ever, t- like, some people I can tell because I just know their musical tastes, but there's so many people, and this is not to, like, be insulting because everyone, you know, you're allowed to like what you like, but I just went, like, people all this limp biscuit stuff i just can't tell if half these people are like legitimate fans of limp biscuit or if it's just like everyone's in on the joke because i'm i don't know it's it's one of those things where 20 years after the fact people start to appreciate things differently it's kind of like right now with the star wars movies like people are appreciating the prequel trilogy more because of how much they hated the sequel trilogy I think it's kind of the same thing that's going on with music is that, you know, people ironically may have liked Limp Bizkit in the 90s, but it's like now they look back at it as they look back at it with nostalgia, you know, and and it's just everything works in a 20 year cycle. So, you know, it kind of makes sense that Limp Bizkit, you know, I'm I'm waiting for Korn and 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 like uh, Stained to make a comeback too. I mean, I think at least, well, I mean, just from my personal musical taste, I think Corn, there's more merit in their music than Limp Bizkit. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, neither neither of them are like my top ten artists of the '90s or anything like that. Oh, but God. if I had to like, if I had to go song for song, Corn versus Limp Bizkit, I would say Corn has more. Well, well, songs hey, hey, well. Let's talk about somebody who's actually from that generation, dudes. Oh, that's Mike. <laughs> well, that's me. Me. I mean, me. I was a teenager. In the I 90s. grew up with Corn and Limp Bizkit more than Mike. Mike was like, "Fuck that music! What the fuck is this?" Well, it, it was top. It, it was just a revolution rock, then, because because Limp Bizkit and Corn were big on the, you know, the TRL the yeah. circuit. You know, they were big. You know, they were huge, in that situation. So there is a lot of nostalgia there. And yeah, I look back on some of the songs that Limp Bizkit did and I'm like, yeah, that wasn't that great. 
but there are still songs that I like by them. I'm not going to say that they're all fucking great, but I do have nostalgia for like some of the hits. You know, it's not in Corn more, more. Actually, if you listen to full Corn albums, there's actually better songs on the album than they released as singles sometimes. Yeah, you know, you know. Well, well, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, if if we look at, I mean, if we look at new metal as a whole or the rap rock, you know, if you blend that all into kind of like. I would say it's more mid to late nineties. Let's just put it. The, let's just put it this way. I'd rather listen to Corn and Limp Bizkit than Papa Roach any day of the week. Uh, I mean, that's not really saying a lot. I agree. <laughs> but I mean, early Papa Roach is kind of similar to Limp Bizkit to me. But then they turned the Green Day. Sound. Then they turned to the Green Day. Oh, did they? <laughs> I I never really listened to. Them. I know I know the one song that everybody knows, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, then they Last turned to the Resort. Day. Yeah, but then he got like a haircut and he looked like Billy Joe Armstrong from fucking Green Day. Oh God! And he started to sing it. You love your scars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my oh, sister's carrier of music's even worse than mine, you know, <laughs> like that emo shit. Yeah. Uh, All oh, going down, down, blah blah blah, blah down. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> And then to Venom's, other, started, to Venom's other point, no, still fuck the prequels. They, they still fucking suck. No, oh, they, no, I, uh, yeah. The thing is, I actually watched Revenge of the Sith last week, and I've, de- I've developed a new appreciation for it. I'm still not going to say I'm a fan, quote-unquote, but there's a lot of cool stuff in... I, honestly, there's cool stuff in all three movies. Obviously, you know, to, to an old fart like me, they never touch the original trilogy. Um and especially with all the political shit and the romance shit that they and that they brought into the prequel trilogy, it just I remember it just not feeling like Star Wars. Um, but obviously, I've softened up on that over the years because I hated the prequel trilogy, and now I, I don't hate it. Like I said, Revenge of the Sith, I watched it last week and I actually enjoyed it. I, I had forgotten how cool some of those lightsaber fights were. Oh, my favorite scene of that movie is like fucking Christopher Lee when he gives that look to fucking Palpatine when yeah, right. he tells <laughs> Anakin to kill him. You know, like, you what the fuck? He says, do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> oh, God. You can't kill yeah. me on Dracula. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His look was like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, I also think, but there's, a, I also think there's a difference between people who grew up on the prequels versus like, you oh, know, yeah. people who are already fully invested in the original trilogy and had those on the pedestal that yeah. they should be and then saw the prequels in relation to the original and then like today's generation who who knows which ones they're gonna see first and all that. So Yeah, yeah, the it, thing the thing with the prequels though, that I, I yeah, there is romance in it, but you have to explain how Luke and Leia were born. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you can explain it to me without having a sappy scene of those two making out in the fields of... I love sand. I hate sand. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was just a little much, like I said. Yeah, I I know. I I gave it every chance in the world. I'm like, okay, I haven't watched this movie in 10 years. Let me give it a shot. I remember that lightsaber battle at the end being awesome, so let's see if it holds up. And I ended up walking away really liking some of the earlier scenes, too. The lightsaber battle with uh, General General Grievous I thought was pretty cool, even though it kind of ends, that fight ends in a very non-Jedi way, but whatever. Again, uh, Matt, Re- Matt uh, Thing played uh, General Grievous in uh, 
uh, fact, uh, he actually played Bit Fortuner in the last episode of The Mandalorian. Yep, I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. So, I don't know. I, I guess the, the whole point of this whole discussion is how things come back. And I had always heard that stuff comes back in 20-year cycles, like 20 years after it was popular the first time. It's going to be popular again. Like, when I was a kid in the 80s, stuff from the 60s was, like, making a comeback. Like, you know, um, a lot of the drug rock, you know, Janis Joplin. But do you, do you, do you think part of that has to do with, like... Um because now I think we're starting to see like the nineties nostalgia start to creep in where it was eighties. And I think part of that is because whatever your generation is watching as kids, there is kind of almost a countdown clock to the, okay, now you're old enough to where you are the ones making movies and TV shows and music. And I think you take kind of like what you're nostalgic for and try to spin it in a new way. And now we're kind of transitioning from the kids of the eighties being the ones that were making anything to where now it's kids of the nineties creeping into those roles. Not that, not that older folks aren't still making stuff. No, but but they're not. When you're a kid of the nineties, you're always a kid of the nineties. That never, Mm -hmm. I'm, I will always be an eighties kid. It's just, uh, there's nothing I can do to change that. There's nothing any of us can do to change the decade that we grew up in. So, you know, I understand nostalgia. I try not to suffer it too much, but I, but I understand. I think we all understand nostalgia. We all think back to those days of, you know, no job, less responsibilities, and just our, our basic job was to go to school and enjoy, you know, the music and movies. And the yeah, the favorite movie ever was Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, you know, the flashbacks, you know, nostalgia. <laughs> go Ninja, go Ninja, go, you know, like, <laughs> and Super Shark. Yeah, fucking Toker and Reza. Babies! Jesus. <laughs> you know, fucking great stuff. Oh, man. Do you started like? Yeah, really. Yeah. Are you gotta talk secret about the yeah secret of the why the hell are we even talking about this? Oops, my fault. Let's move on. <laughs> hey, come on. Better in part three when they go back in time. <laughs> the, the the first one was legit good, and I just remember all the controversy about it because they were like, "This is not for kids." Like, okay, it wasn't. I mean, it was look, dark, but not those, that over the top. If you look back at those '90s Ninja Turtles movies. They're way better than those fucking Michael Bay ones. Oh, hell yeah. By far. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, filmmaking might have been true, but the storytelling is still way better in the older ones. Yeah, plus part two has David Warner in it, so that's another way that I'll still watch it. And plus the original movies, it's like they understand that the, the source material was a cartoon. Yeah. The Michael the Michael Bay movies, it's almost like the 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 source material was like a really adult dark manga or something. It's like, no, these are fucking Ninja Turtles. They were cartoons. Make it fun. You have to make it fun first and foremost. And, you know, filmmakers nowadays want to make everything dark and gritty. That's why Marvel is such a success. They understand how to make a superhero movie that is based on a comic book. These are comic books. These are young um, boys and girls uh reading material so yes even though you're making a movie that's supposed to be for a larger audience not just for kids you still have to have that um that fun factor because comic books are fun ultimately you know we don't read kids don't read comic books because they're depressing for mm-hmm. the most part i'm sure there's a few examples mouse, mouse. yeah exactly. <laughs> um but yeah i mean 
you know, there's always going to be a little bit of nostalgia in everything that we look at, everything that we judge. Does this remind me of the 80s? Does it remind me of the 90s? Uh, that could be part of the reason why I wasn't as big a fan of, say, Fear Street 94 as I was of Fear Street 78. You know, I just am more familiar with 78. I lived through it. It, it felt more like home. You know what I mean? It felt like my childhood, whereas 94, I mean, yeah, I was already 24 years old. I was already a pissed off adult, disgruntled, unemployed. Yeah. So the 90s for me aren't that nostalgic, unfortunately. But, you know, I, like I said, that, that happens with everybody. Everybody has their decade that they associate with. And then every other decade, it's not as good. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people are still, oh, 80s music was the best. 80s metal was the best. It's like, ah, yeah, you can make the argument. But at the same time, you're still being nostalgic. So I have to take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the I think a lot of nostalgia happens where it's not always necessarily that the the, you know, uh, the. What the fuck am I trying to say? The actual programs or music is the best. It just, a lot of times it takes you back to a time in life that was really good. So you associate everything around it with like, well, that was part of, like, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm mostly speaking if you had like a relatively good childhood, you know, free of trauma, anything that would trigger you not to look back on those years as bad. But if you had a relatively normal childhood that was happy, it's generally happy times with little responsibility. And I think that is part of nostalgia more than just the shows themselves, because I can look back on a lot of stuff from my childhood objectively now and be like, some of that shit was terrible, but it, but it doesn't matter so much because it, it's more the fact that it reminds me of the era itself, not, not just with the cartoons I was watching. Right. And I think sometimes because of that, then you associate what you were watching as like so good when, you're almost misplacing the happiness of that time yeah, like, on a cartoon when it's, like, you know, just your life itself. Yep. Like perfect, perfect example is the new masters of the universe show that came out. There's a lot of fans of the original show that fucking hate it. Wow. You know, and it's like you complain about everything when they try to do something a little but different. They're, technically they're complaining about one certain aspect which I'm not going to get into because it's kind of a spoiler for the very first episode. Yeah. But that's been the major complaint that I've heard is that one thing. And ultimately, I don't hate that one thing. You know, it, it, it builds interest to me. You know what I mean? And I'm also going to say, uh, I, I don't know why we're talking about He-Man, but <laughs> I am going to say I have always hated Orko. I hate Orko with a fucking passion. I always thought that he was nothing but comic relief. And that he was stupid. Guess what? Within one episode, I fucking love Orko now because of what he does. I don't know if you watched it, Derek, but because of what yeah. he does at the end of episode one, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That's Orko? Orko in the 80s never would have done that. And yeah. he did something so heroic that it blew me away. And I'm like, well, shit, I, I just did a complete 180 on Orko. <laughs> yeah, fuck Orko in the 80s. Grimdar was better in the 80s. Uh, yeah, they were equally cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah, so they were, you know, like uh, like I said, like in one of the posts, like, uh, people are complaining. I'm like, yeah, but I like the fucking canon movie that everybody hates, so there's that, you know. Yeah, like, me too. I'm not gonna say I mean, you know, it's not a great movie, but it's fun. 
Oh no, yeah, no one, no one would ever accuse that of being a good movie, but it's it's absolutely fun. It's still fun as hell. Bad oh, dialogue Franklin, at all. Franklin Jello should have won an Oscar for playing Skeletor. He's oh, yeah. fucking, he's fucking great. <laughs> Who else could play Skeletor? Mark Hamill and Frank Langella. That's it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So was that our burning question, Mike? Nostalgia? No, that was the end of like his fucking what we watched. Yeah, that was the, I don't even know how it started segment. That, that's almost like an episode regular feature now. <laughs> Let's just edit that whole thing out and make it like a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> our, our thoughts on nostalgia. There you go. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess we should get into some news. I actually have more than I normally do, but I don't know. We don't even have to go through all of it. Um, I'll How about you go through major the stuff that's actually news? <laughs> all right. Um, Exorcist Trilogy, I guess, just got purchased for how much? Uh, an obscene amount of money. Like, we're talking, what, 200, 300 million or something? Insane. Yeah. So I guess that's just, like, to buy the rights to make more. If if I'm like you know buying the property, I I'm guess I'm not sure. Because I don't I don't know if that entails the previous, um, you know, iterations. Like, do they own those, or do they only own the rights moving forward for new stuff? That's the issue. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess the I, rights moving forward because uh, maybe the first movie because of yeah, uh, because I understand that, or at least I thought I read that this is kind of another. With the, the new hot trend, you know, is retconning everything except the original, and I believe that they're doing that with this one, um, with the return of uh, the mom or the actress Ellen Burstyn, right? Yeah. yeah, she's great. I mean, I love her um, in everything. Uh, last last thing I think I saw her. Well, no, I don't want to say the last, but I she was really good in a uh, Requiem for a Dream. As Mrs. Goldfarb. Oh, oh, you you gotta see her in those Flower in the Attic Lifetime movies. She's a fucking bitch in those. It's fucking amazing. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. How many was it? Was it a? Did they turn it into a series or did they remake? They the did like they, they did like a you know the like Lifetime versions of the VC Andrew novels. She's in like the first two of those movies, and she's a fucking bitch. Because she played like the Louise Fletcher character from the original movie. <laughs> you, yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, so it's gonna be a sequel. Uh, I I also read that like so far Linda Blair has been contacted. Um, I don't know if there's a synopsis of what they're going for, but. There's gonna have to be a connection, I guess. If I mean, unless someone just goes to the mom and for because she experienced something similar, like, hey, uh, I already know what's gonna happen you, uh, in this movie. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. What? Linda Blair is gonna get possessed by the spirit of Rick James. <laughs> uh, super freak is back. This is no, it's weird because they actually dated. No, <laughs> like, I know, famously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, the stories I heard of the shit those two did together, Jesus. I don't, I don't know if half of it is true, but 
if even half of it is true, holy shit, Linda Blair was crazier than any of us imagined. (laughs) (laughs) And I love her for it. Oh, yeah. What else you got, Mike? Yeah, so that's... uh, Oh, yeah, but that is going to be... Damn, I forgot to write down which... Because it's one of the streaming services that I think bought it to put it on their... It's supposedly going to be a trilogy, so we'll see. I mean, we've had uh, the Blumhouse show. It's pretty good. That sounds like Netflix, because Netflix... uh, It seems like Netflix has been doing that lately, signing on... Because they bought the rights to Knives Out, and that's the exact same story. They're going to do three more Knives Out movies with the original cast. It, it seems like Netflix is trying to pick up some profitable franchises. Oh, Netflix. Let's see. <laughs> is I know Blumhouse is producing it, and Dame McBride's co-writing it again. It said Universal. Universal bought it from whoever. Yeah, Universal Blum- had yeah. Yeah, it's Blumhouse. Blumhouse is making those. Uh, yeah, because it also so. mentions the knife, Knives Out deal yeah, as okay. well. Netflix, man, spending some money. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope the movies yeah, get better. Man. Yeah, they're, they're all directed by David Gordon Green, these new ones, I'm guessing, too. <laughs> That'd be funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, they are. Oh, all of them? Yeah, the new Exorcist movies are going to be all directed by David. Oh, Gordon I Green. thought you meant Knives Out. Okay, my bad. <laughs> I'm like, how could you not have Ryan Johnson back? <laughs> no, Ryan Johnson's coming back for those. Good. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was worried about. Uh, okay. Um, would okay. I'll start this news item with a question. Would you guys attend a musical based around Jaws? because if you live in the Seattle area, that might be a possibility. They're making a musical, a Jaws musical, but it's based on, it's, it's weird. It's, it's a musical about the making of Jaws based on the book. What was the name of the shark? Not in the movie, but uh, Bruce, the shark puppet, Bruce. Yeah. Bruce. That's what it was. It's, uh, it's, it's based on the making of Jaws. So I'd rather just watch a musical of Jaws. (laughs) <laughs> Kinda. It sounds interesting. I mean, yeah. I'm not a big musical guy to begin with. I mean, it, it, it took twisting my arm to get me to watch Anna and the Apocalypse. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, when, when I say musical, I mean like actual like live theater. Like, would you oh, no, go to it? You not, know, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I got to see what it looks like. You know. Yeah, because yeah, I'm honestly not much of a musical like movie watcher in that sense either but when i saw evil dead the musical live it kind of at least started interesting or giving interest in to see what other horror properties did do musical versions because that was just so well written and you know it might just be because the people behind it were so into the material that they understood how to convert it into a musical. Um, I know there was like a reanimator musical at one time. I don't know if that one ever got popular enough to like travel around nationally, but uh, I know there's a Beetlejuice one, Um, but I'd probably go, you know, if, if the Jaws one blew up enough to where it was actually traveling around or, you know, different local uh, musical theater uh, places picked it up to put on. I, I'd probably check it out just because I think as long as you're familiar enough with the material, so you you know you get the jokes and the little nuances and inside you know the info they put in there. 
I, I think it could make it worth it and get you through it, even it, if you're not the biggest fan it of could musicals. Be, yeah. yeah, hell yeah, I'll check it out. I love musicals, by the way. If you guys didn't know that about me. Oh well, then, <laughs> and then I'm the opposite of Derek. Though I will say I did enjoy Evil Dead the musical. Did you see it in Vegas, Mike, or did it travel up to you? Okay, yeah, here it's put on annually um, in a oh, one oh. of the towns. Yeah, so they have the blood zone in in that. Yeah, oh. it's like the first two or three rows yeah, of the blood like splatter that. zone. Yeah, that, I saw it in. Game yeah, well, I. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was gonna say yeah. I wore like a white shirt on purpose, and I like would <laughs> hold up my pro my. You know how they give you the little program? Sure. I would hold that up every time, like the blood splatter, just so like I can t- save it as like an artifact. <laughs> I, I still yeah, I still have my quote unquote blood covered T shirt from a Guar concert I went to. <laughs> Guar. Uh, it's got it's got blood and orange juice all if over they, it. If they made a musical about Guar, I'd fucking go see that. <laughs> Their show is a musical. It's the World Maggot Musical. Well, if it was like a story about the the band Guar. I feel uh, like that would be I good. As a, yeah, with Ethan Embry in it, it would be like a good crossover <laughs> from <laughs> from Empire Records. Right, right, and uh, a dark. I don't know what uh, Devil's Camp. Yeah, yeah. But it was funny because his character in Empire Records actually talked to Guar in that nice. movie. Yeah. Uh, what else you got, Mike? All right. Um, Alexander Daddario said she wanted to cut the line, do your thing, because from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. I would, I, you know, it, before we go any further, I wouldn't have no problem with her saying that line if she was naked. <laughs> well, the what makes it funny to me is like, one, sure, would it have been better if that line was not in there there's a of shitload course. of other problems that yes. Before that. yes exactly the, and that's the exact point i was gonna make bullshit. it's not like it was a good movie up to that point and then that line ruined it it was not a fucking good movie i don't remember and, uh, you're talking about leatherface right no no the texas no, chainsaw 3d 3d oh 3d not texas chainsaw 3 yeah you remember the twist when she finds out like it's her cousin or sibling or whatever the fuck and yeah, cousins yeah then yeah they're cousins because she sees like the little police report in the station and then like she's basically watching her friends get murdered and she kind of stops caring and says do your thing cuz and I'm like, what? Like uh, now you're. You know, I, might, I, I, I guess save my kind of my thoughts on that movie because I actually might be reviewing that soon. Well, no, well tell me the tell me the line earlier in the movie where the girl says, "Welcome to Texas, motherfucker," and she's not even from Texas. Like, why the <laughs> fuck are you saying that? Because they're just in Texas, I think, for some. Dude, dude in the flashback scene of the beginning of the original, the ending of the original TCM, the sheriff, you know, like. The younger version of the sheriff, his fucking wig looks fucking awful. And that's, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The black sheriff is fucking hair in that movie. <laughs> it's fucking awful, man. You know? Yeah. And, to be and plus fair, the whole I timeline bullshit it. where it's supposed to take place like how many years after the original movie and their cell phones, like regular wow. fucking iPhones and shit. You know? Yeah. To be fair, I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, but that's because I have no desire to. You know, like, wrote, you know who wrote that movie, too? Uh, uh, did, did their career end afterwards? Uh, <laughs> that's who? Adam Marcus wrote t- 
Texas Chainsaw 3D. Oh. Who directed uh, Jason Goes to Hell? Hell. Huh. Interesting. Because I actually don't hate Jason Goes to Hell, although it's not really a Friday the 13th movie in a sense. But yes, it is. I mean, it, it, it is because Jason's in it, but... For five you know. seconds, but yeah, he's in it. Hey, five seconds at the beginning and five seconds at the end. Get it right. It, it's Crane Duke, yo, Crane Duke. Like, exactly, Creighton Duke makes that fucking movie. Ah, so entertaining. Yeah, but if it's like your first Friday the Thirteenth, you expect Creighton oh, Duke. Oh no, to be, no, yeah, because yeah. no, especially if you watch that as your first one, you expect. Wait a minute, is Creighton Duke another Friday the Thirteenth act before this one? Yeah, and and, and actually, it's kind of weird and hilarious. Yeah, that was, was that actually, would actually that would actually be the absolute worst Friday movie to start on. You would be so confused. Nothing would make sense. Actually, hilariously enough, it was my first Friday movie. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> all I remember is the big the black corner eating fucking Jason's heart like a cheeseburger. <laughs> oh, God. The jelly heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> um. All right. What else do I got? Um, okay, Fatal Frame. One of the Fatal Frame games that was on Wii U. I never had a Wii U. I had the first Wii, but I skipped out on Wii U. Uh, there was a Fatal Frame on there, and they're remaking that for PS4 and PS5, and it's supposed to release October 28th, just in time. I don't know what, if any of your guys' experience with the Fatal Frame franchise is. Fatal Frame 2 is one of my favorites, one of the scariest gameplay experiences for me that I've had. I was obviously a lot younger when it came out, but still um, I love it and uh, I can't wait. I'm glad because I've always been wondering, you know, will we get new fatal frames for the switch? But uh, this one is actually being just because it was the next Nintendo system, obviously after Wii U, but um, the fact that we're getting it on PS4, PS5, which means obviously the, the graphics all of that are going to be updated for this gen. I'm pretty hyped about that. It's a very simple premise of a game for the most part. You're basically uh, going around trying to capture pictures, but simple premise, like but a, a very convoluted story. Once you actually find well, out the curse of the village and everything, I, I, I have to answer your question. I have played. I, I've finished every single Fatal Frame game. I love those games. Um, I did have that Wii U game. In fact, I bought the Wii U specifically just for that game. Um, Because it had a cool functionality where you used... Because you remember how the Wii U had like a tablet controller? Yeah. Like you used that as the camera. So you were actually holding it up to your television to take pictures of the ghosts. I thought that was fucking cool. It, it, It doesn't... It gets boring pretty quick. Like, like it's cool at first, but after a while, you're like, ah, I got to lift this damn thing again to take it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I will definitely have that new one. Uh, I'll definitely be picking that up or the remake, I should say. I've, I, re- I don't remember the end of that one. I remember the end of the first two games, but not the Wii U game. Yeah, the one they're remaking is actually not one of the best ones in the series, unfortunately. No. It, well, it, that's, it's that's still playable. Though. But, it's probably you know, good that you remake the weakest one. You don't want to remake the best one in the franchise. It's already the best one. Yeah, no need to improve. I, I wouldn't mind replaying it on a better system and oh, sure, graphics. Sure. Absolutely. One of the originals. I'm sure if you looked hard enough, you could find somebody that has like a pirate HD patch for it. So you could, uh, assuming you have some kind of uh, modded system, you could like 
you could sideload the patch and then because I've done it. Uh, I shouldn't I probably shouldn't say this it's not ultra legal, but yeah, I've done it a few times in the past where I'll I'll mod like my original Xbox console, the old the OG Xbox. Mm-hmm. I'll mod it. I'll put HD patches in it and I'll play old Xbox games in full HD. So it's kind of cool, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. I watched like the GTA ones on YouTube all the time. The mods. Exactly. Yeah. Thanos. I want the Thanos mod so bad. <laughs> I want the Pennywise mod. Did you see that one where, yeah. where it's all evil clowns in the town? <laughs> yeah. Now, now they have just fucking Godzilla the breathing fire in GTA there. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. The Kaiju. Grand Theft Kaiju. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see, what else do I got? I think I'm on to the final. Uh, there was an announcement. Okay, this I guess this will be the final. There was, and I'm not sure if this got posted much because I really didn't hear about it till I was like looking up something unrelated. But uh, they're actually doing a horror noir trilogy on Shutter. Mm-hmm. That's uh, starring Robert based Inger? kind of on the documentary. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they find something for him to be in it because I mean some of the some of the generation of actors are from his era, but um, you know basically it's going to be a six story trilogy. Uh, looks like African African American centric stories, um, which makes sense because it's kind of based. It's I, I wouldn't even say based on. It's kind of like the launching point off of the documentary, which is cool because. In a sense, that shows that like the documentary had enough of an impact, and I guess was popular enough to where Shutter and whoever else is funding it feels like okay, let's go ahead and now actually do something about the issues that were that were brought up in horror noir and let um, people create movies based on it. So that's cool. I mean, that doesn't guarantee it's going to be good, but hopefully it ends up good. But um, I think. That's supposed to be later this year that it's dropping. Mm-hmm. But I'm yeah, looking I'm forward to that. Kinda. Yeah, we'll see how it yeah, goes. Yeah, I, I know they announced like Rachel True, uh, Tony Todd, Ken Foray. Uh, a lot of the people that were already in the documentary are oh, also going to Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All the names you would expect, um, sure. which is cool. But, I, you know, I think it'll be a good vehicle potentially to, like, you know, shine a light on names that we don't know. You know, that people that might have been... Around under the radar that just haven't been shown to like a horror audience or just bigger Return audience. Return of Kincaid. Yo, Freddy! <laughs> Imagine if they made like an episode where it's Robert England is a slave owner and King Hen is a slave. Oh, I'm gonna fuck you up, Wab Man. Sagos, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a cool dude. I don't know if you've ever met him, but he he's made the convention uh, circles. I haven't seen him in a while. The last thing I ever seen him in was actually an episode of Sunny in Philly. I'm like, holy shit, there's fucking Kincaid. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know he... I was just going to say, I, I see him at Monster Palooza every, every couple of years or so. Yeah, I've never actually spoken to him, but he seems like a nice guy. I'm not interested enough to get his autograph, so I've never actually... Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I went to... So one of the years at the Sinister Creature Con up here, they had like like uh probably four anywhere from like four to six different um it was a combination of like the actual people from dream warriors and just other people from the franchise and uh one of the things i learned about him was he actually started like a scholarship program for to get people into like 
film school and filmmaking and all that. So I thought that was pretty cool. I, you know, I was trying to pay it forward to other people and, you know, he's known in horror circles, but it's not like he's like, you know, this a list, you know, billionaire actor that can just afford to do it on his own. So the fact that he's making the effort to raise funds for, I think it's really cool. Yeah. I actually have one of his, uh, other horror movies on DVD. Cromer actually released a death by dialogue. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah how, like, how long ago was that? I think that came out in 88, that movie. Oh, uh, okay. So that goes back a bit. Yeah. That's cool. Um, all right. And then the last bit of news I personally have, um, filling in for the normal Robert England news Let's get a double dose of Corey Feldman because within 24 hours, I hear a, Oh, he's retired, but then B he's, uh, and not that Corey Feldman retired, quote unquote, retiring from the film industry alone would be news. Cause I don't know the last thing he's made period, but oh, then, it, <laughs> then the news also dropped that. And this is coming from Corey Feldman. I don't think this has been substantiated by anyone or any, company but i just thought it was interesting if not maybe bullshit but i just want to bring up to see what you guys said so he, he's talking about the friday the 13th lawsuit now how it's been settled so how he'd be interested to come back to play tommy jarvis now that alone i probably wouldn't even have thought it was worth to mention but the second part of the story and this is according to him he said that when they were looking to remake the Friday the 13th movie, what was it, 2009? Was yeah. it? Whenever it was. Mm-hmm. He said supposedly the first idea that the studios had was to, was to bring him back as Tommy Jarvis to make it like a Tommy Jarvis versus Jason movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much I believe him. Uh, <laughs> but, no, that's or, actually true. Because I, I, I actually heard that like 15 years ago. Was it really him that they wanted to bring back, or just well? Tommy no, no. Jar- okay, that's a good point. It wasn't necessarily that they wanted him, but they did want Tommy versus Jason. Uh, okay, because I would almost say by 2009, it would almost make more sense to go back after Matthews, right? Because by now Jarvis yeah. would have been up. Unless they did like a specific timeline to say, okay, this is taking place earlier. But I mean, Tom Matthews. It, I almost feel like. Now, I mean, Tom Matthews still times, plays Tommy Jarvis to this day. So. That's what I was going to say. I would say to modern era, it almost feels like Tom Matthews is more Tommy Jarvis than Corey Feldman just because, you know, he's continued to kind of, like, make his name off that. Um, Tom Matthews and like life, the, that's right. And the, and the, uh, in the, even in the Friday the 13th game, they model him after Tom Matthews specifically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Like, I, I think, you know, a Tommy Jarvis, the character coming back to the franchise for like whatever they decide to do that, I'd be perfectly down for yeah, that. Yeah, as just, long as it's not played by Corey Feldman, because remember, he's back yeah. as Edgar Frog. That was fucking awful. I thought he did. Right, I, 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 fortunately, I missed one at the second one, Lost Boys, and whatever the subtitle was. I didn't even see that one. Um, was it any good? No, no. no. 
I thought he did a great job in Corbin Nash, but then again, he was playing a fucking nutty character, so it kind of fit him. I think he was playing a transvestite vampire, so (laughs) it kind of makes sense. Um, But yeah, if nobody's seen Corbin Nash, I recommend that movie. It's not a great movie, but it's gory as hell. And like I said, Corey Feldman's performance is actually pretty good. It's over the top and silly, but it it I fits him. I did see that actually. I'm not sure if I remember it though. Yeah, I actually watched it at work when it first came out. I think I think it's like two or three years old now, and I watched it because I I, um, I work at Directv, so obviously during downtime I'll watch pay per views, and yeah, that was one of the ones I watched, and I actually kind of enjoyed it. Like I said, don't expect a great movie, but expect to have a good time, you know, laughing at Corey Feldman as a transvestite vampire. What <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make a statement right here that you know might surprise some. I don't want to see any more Friday the Thirteenth movies ever. It is my absolute favorite franchise, and I want it left alone. I'm happy with what we've gotten. Uh, yeah, the potential for them to put out another one and have it be really good is there, but the likelihood that it would be really good is pretty slim. You know, it's just gonna be another Friday the Thirteenth entry into the franchise and I don't need that anymore. I've you know what they're gonna end, end up doing Venom if What's they that? ever they're gonna redcon like all the sequels and bring Alice back, back from I would be very oh the only idea for a Friday movie, and I still think it's even pretty stupid as much as it's uh, kind of pandering, um the only idea I would like is if they brought all the final girls back. Because I had I had heard that that was a script that they were working on for a little while, right after the 2009 movie, that they were going to try to get all the final girls back and that they were going to be like it was going to be like a sordid effort where they were going to get together and try to, you know, get Jason, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I thought that sounded mildly interesting because you're bringing back women who have experience. They know Jason's real. There won't be any there won't be too much of that silly. Oh, no, you know, this can't be happening type crap. You know, these these would all be smart chicks who have all already lived through this nightmare and blah, blah, blah. Though I don't know how they could bring Alice back. But um, but yeah, they were I I remember them talking about it like 2010, 2011, maybe. Imagine imagine Martin Day Chris in one of those because she's fucking off the chains in the end of that one. Like, ah, ah, ah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, the you know, uh, what do you call it? Ginny from part two, Pat from part five. <laughs> Pat. Yeah. yeah, Pat. Hey, Pat was hot. <laughs> and she's like the oldest final girl. I mean, she Bring was like Bring back Reggie the Reckless. Ah, uh, Reggie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Reggie the Reckless and his brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> they find out that his father was Creighton Duke. That was the secret all along, and that's how they connected it. Finally. <laughs> there better be See, the, way, the, the, the way you kind of have that feeling on Friday the 13th, I just kind of feel like that way, period, on 80s slasher franchises across the board. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, mo- I'm more open to the idea of like remakes of just isolated movies that were like one-offs when it comes to franchises, I just don't see the point. And if, if they're going to make new ones, the thing, just, the thing is, the thing is Mike, a sequel, a sequel. Yep. The thing is, Mike, they're going to end up either doing a sequel or a remake to these franchises. Even if we don't want to, because they oh, fucking duh. sell. Well, I know they're going to, oh, yeah. obviously they're going to do it. I'm not saying like I have any control. Obviously they're going to do it, but it, I don't, 
I don't get very excited when they do it. I'm just like, oh, okay. I mean, it, I it's like excited not it's a few years later because you never know. Because when they fucking start, like those Halloween ones that came out in like the mid '90s, I was not excited. Like I was excited for H2O when I first heard about it, but in like the, the one after that, Resurrection, I wasn't very excited for them. Like because you know, HGO H2O actually had a pretty like I thought it ended. You know, like how the fuck are you gonna go from there? And then you know how that fucking went. Yeah, you know? H2O probably... Is that, like, the one that kind of was the first to almost retcon by saying... It's the chosen... But they included the first two, right? No, just the first. I don't think this... I, I think it was literally... No, they, like, the events of the second one didn't occur, I don't think. No, well, no, no they, they had to. No, they did. It's brother they, and sister. Yeah, they're brother and sister still. Well, brother and sister technically came from a deleted scene from the original movie. Not from well, part... I mean, I know it was actually in the body of part two. That was no, the no, first no. time we actually no, I thought it was the TV cut. The, Venom, the TV the, cut? The TV yeah. cut. Yeah, you're right. The TV cut. Yeah. You're right. Venom, Carpenter actually created that in part two because he was pissed and didn't want to make it. Oh, no. Oh, I know the story of Carpenter in part two. Even Jamie Lee didn't want to make it. Like, it, it seemed like nobody involved in that film really wanted to be there. Donald Pleasant <laughs> said, he's like, I want to play this part forever. Even her well, wig uh, didn't want to be there. <laughs> oh well that's not her fault she cut her hair <laughs> it oh, was yeah, three years after the original so <laughs> yeah she was about to film perfect and show her a JJ in close up gymnastic poses there we go and we still got we still got the, uh, the her boob shot from trading places coming <laughs> yeah yeah epic uh-huh. boob shot there, by the way there's like, a, there's like a, a few in there I think um, There's one big one. I mean, the one big one where she's standing in front of the mirror and just takes everything off. It, it's just, ah, I think I became a man that day. You know, <laughs> you, you know, like franchises, like, I'm just curious, you know, if they're making like a sequel after they like made one that I felt like it was a good ending to it, then I'd be, yeah, I'm not kind of excited for this. But if there's time and they, because there's always going to be reboots. There's a lot of like, always. yeah, always. you know, there's always going to. Because those classic stories have been told for years. Like there's like 35 stars borns and for different generations. And I do like that idea of stories like that being retold for a new generation because it kind of worked. The same with like horror movies. We complain about it and like we think like all these 2010 movies are original. They're pretty much just ripping off shit from the fucking 70s. Let's be fucking honest. There's original creators involved, but they're just making movies inspired by shit that they loved, you know, and making original, doing little twists and turns, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've heard that idea, um, I think I read an article a while back, or something about how, like, there, in all of cinema, there's, for the most part, uh, you know, 99% of movies, there's, they basically choose from, like, different stories that have been told and just find a way to like tell it yeah. in a different way or they attempt like, to. Yeah. I think there's only like six or seven different stories that you can tell They're They're basically every movie ever made is a variation of six or seven different stories. So, you know, the, the, the hero's arc, uh, boy meets girl, blah, blah, blah. There's only certain, you know, um, so even something like hereditary could still fall, even though it comes off as very original as we watch it, obviously there are homages throughout it. We, there are very obvious things in it that, you know, that we see inspiration from other films. Um, I, like I said, I, I have the same stance I always have on remakes and reboots. I dislike them. I'm not a big fan, but 
I'm not saying that I don't watch them. Obviously, they're horror movies. I'm going to watch them. And some of them I'm going to love. I, I, I always use the Evil Dead as my example. I had zero interest in an Evil Dead remake. Guess what? I went to see that movie. It's my number one movie of 2013. And it's not even close. So, yeah, there's going to be times when you're surprised. But at the same time, every time I hear about a remake or a sequel being made, I feel like originality has died just a little bit more every time. And and Mike, you and I have talked about this on Fresh Cuts. I'd rather see a filmmaker take a chance and try to do something new and fail than do the same ABC shit we've already seen and do it well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of where I'm at, where I don't even if it's a remark or a reboot the film is always going to be given an opportunity by me to surprise me or change my mind. I, I'm not really someone that refuses to watch anything. I'm just saying I don't really get like when you see on social media, when people will do a post of like, Oh my God, I'm so hyped. They're like making a new whatever. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like what's there to be hyped about? Like it's the chances are it's not going to be, very good just playing the numbers and two more times than not the reason they're remaking it is because the original one was that damn good so it's not going to match that and three a big determination for me and this is all going into it because obviously you never truly know till you watch it three I look into like okay who's the director who's the writer why is this even getting remade is it because you know, it's an up and coming director that's doing it as a passion project that the source material is really uh, close to them, inspires them. Or is it a studio just being like, hey, we need something to turn a profit. Uh, there's that Halloween movie out there or Nightmare on Elm Street that the kids love. Uh, we th- we're banking on the fact that if we just film anything and slap the name Nightmare on Elm Street on it, people will go see it. And more times than not, the studios are right about that aspect it's going to gross a lot of money because there's the interest in the in the brand right sure. the nightmare on elm street the friday the 13th the halloween they have the brand name regardless of the quality of the movie and that's more my problem with the constant remakes it's not the idea that oh nothing should ever be remade i don't really give a yeah. shit if a movie gets remade i'm more interested in why and who's behind it and what they're trying to do because chances are it's it's not going to be good and that's just the numbers game but everything deserves to get watched at least once and sure if it's good i'm if it's good i'm not going to pretend i didn't like it i mean you know yeah. it's, it's it it is what it is and Hell, I, I, go ahead I was just going to say i raved about the wrong turn remake earlier this year even though most people didn't like it it's just the way it happens. I, again, no interest in a wrong turn remake. Didn't really care, but you know, we decided to cover it on fresh cuts, and I ended up loving it. Fucking Matthew Modine for life. Yeah, because it was so different well, from the original. I really, yeah. really dug it. Yeah, and one I know that I maybe I disagree with both of you on, but I think Venom for sure. The Maniac remake I liked. I, I think you didn't, but yeah, I mean, I really liked it. Spoiler alert, we're going to rate it. 
<laughs> I would look, listen. I would still give the Maniac remake a good rating because I recognize that it's a good movie. I don't like Elijah Wood in that role. I think that was poor casting, and I think they were going for to get a big name in there to try to get some you know some box office numbers. But um, I recognize why people like it. It is a very well made movie. Uh, it just doesn't work for me. I I want grubby, dirty, fat, greasy Joe Spinell. That's I don't want this good looking Elijah Wood. It just doesn't fit for me. Yeah, especially That's when the girls are like, "Hey, how you doing?" Before he fucking kills them. That's what I mean. Every girl in the movie is throwing themselves at Elijah Wood, but then he's killing them for some odd reason. Spinell had a reason to kill these women. Look at him for fuck's sake. <laughs> Not like he could get one on his own. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, it's really still a good movie. It's just, a lot of people like that movie is because you know he's an attractive killer, blah blah blah, and it's and it comes off as different. That's fine. I, but like I said, for me, it just didn't work. I think yeah, I still give it um, a seven <laughs> <laughs> Which I know Dave Z and Christian are yelling at me right now, but sorry guys. <laughs> uh, a lot of podcasts are going to be yelling at us. Oh yeah, yeah. I know the love of Maniac. Absolutely. Yeah, fucking uh, yeah. But you know, I'm not, I'm a little bit more bugged with like English. Like I'm I I like some remakes. The ones that really bug me are the ones that are made from foreign movies. The English audiences. Those are the ones that really bug me more. If that makes sense, because I feel like it's lazy. Because if you watch like the remake of that, they wouldn't check out the original film. Ah. Uh-huh. If the remake sucked of those. Sure. The, no. this, like, say, if they watch the Modders remake over the original Modders, okay. you know what I mean? That's yep. what, the ones I hate the most. I actually had that conversation with someone recently. Uh, they had watched the American remake of Inside, and they were telling me that, oh, man, I saw that movie Inside, and I don't understand what everybody's raving about. People talk about how great this movie is, and I'm like, wait, which one did you watch? And, yeah, it was the American remake, and I'm like, no, 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 my friend. You go back and you watch that French film, and then you come back and talk to me. Yeah, so, like, yeah, you're right. You're right. People see the remakes first, and they lose interest in seeing the you know superior originals, and that's too bad. Yeah, and especially like I had this conversation with Lacey, like one of side of the shows where we talked about uh, she saw the the Joshua Jackson star and Shutter remake, and the original Shutter is one of the films that creeped me out the most. The end oh, of that God. movie gave me fucking nightmares for days. I was looking over my shoulder for fucking days after watching that fucking movie. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, something on me. You know, like, you know, like, it's no, it's fuck- true. Like, if after I watched that movie, I remember there'd be a couple of days where I would quote-unquote feel heavy. And I would literally start checking my shoulders. There's nobody on me, right? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, that movie... Creep me the fuck out of the first. Yeah, that movie gets under your skin. I like it. And and then when you if you watch the fucking remake, you lose all interest because they ruined the fucking ending. Oh, I never saw the remake. Thankfully. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of the same ending, but the the way they did it's a little bit more shittier. That Venom. I'm glad you bring up that point because that's something I used to back when I was more of a militant, angry like arguer with remakes and stuff because they're like if. For anyone that's listened to like my, my stuff like way back when I first started, I was younger. I was more like adamant about things, you know, 
just the way I argued, that was one of the points I would make is like, I understand that just because something gets remade, it doesn't quote unquote ruin the original. It doesn't erase it. And I do understand that. But the problem is it's a fact that a lot of people coming up when they watch newer versions of stuff, if it's terrible, um, it kills their interest to even go back and watch the original. Like it's, Sometimes it's hard enough just to get people to watch anything uh, that's too far in the past, period. And then if you add, like, crappy versions of it in modern times and they don't like that, which who would like it, then they just have no interest in going back to watch the originals. Um, And, you know, I, I thought it would, to me, it would be unfortunate that if their opinion or judgment on like, you know, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, if that well would be poisoned by seeing the remakes first to where going into it, they already have this cloud of like, well, this is going to be shitty because of the remake. And you're all because you're to me with certain audiences, you're already dealing um, with the fact that, you know, uh, stuff from older eras the special effects aren't going to be as good. You know, your other things are going to stand out. Now, hopefully you're crossing your fingers. They can get over those aspects. And if they do, then it's like, okay. And also don't take into account that these new ones were kind of shitty. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was always worried about that too, that yes, it doesn't erase the originals, but does it just, does it weaken the brand overall? Because now you're including these modern ones in when you say franchise and I know technically they're not I guess franchise is a tricky word because I guess depending on who you talk to it's like well does that count as part of the franchise because it's a whole new thing but let's just say in the same under the same umbrella because it, they still are yeah that fuck name, that old right? boy remake <laughs> oh god I don't know if you guys had any news but that was all I had and well, the reason I, guess- I- Oh, go ahead, Mike. What are you oh, going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say the reason I saved that one for last because I assumed it would kind of bleed into what the burning question was. And I, I feel like we kind of covered some aspects, but I'll return to it after you guys have whatever news you got. All I got really is some new Blu-ray announcements from Arrow Video. We have uh, Deep Red coming to 4K, which Ooh. I'm excited for because... It's actually my favorite Argento film. Profundo uh, Rosso. Yeah, you get it in two different versions. You get it with uh, this, not only the, the doll face cover art, or you get it with uh, the Italian poster art as a box art, which is pretty nice looking. It's pretty rad. Also, uh, for me and Venom, we have uh, the Yokai Monsters box set, which... Woo! Comes with the original three films made in, I, I believe, the early '60s. I Sounds believe those right. are, and then it also comes with uh, the new one by Takashi, the first uh, film directed by Takashi Miike from 2005, which I actually watched recently for 2005. Was uh, the Great Yokai War? Uh, that's a Takashi Miike film. Of course, he just made a sequel to this one that's coming out on Blu-ray. Yeah, Guardians, awesome. Yeah, which I'm excited for. And, uh, yeah, this, I'm excited for this box set because I always wanted to see the yokai monster films from the 60s. Uh, there was always films that uh, intrigued me about those. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for this one. Uh, 
the IA made these films, the same company that made Gamera. Uh, looks fucking rad. Uh, also, for uh, people who haven't picked out these movies, it's kind of a lazy release. I'll agree with that. Uh, they released this box set of previous releases called the Giallo Essentials. Uh, which comes with the Possessed, the Fifth Chord, and the Pajama Girl case. I unfortunately own all these already from Arrow Video through their like single releases. But I'll say this: if you guys don't own any of these, it's actually a nice box set. You get them for a little, you know, nice set. And the set itself, the box art, is pretty rad. I wish I didn't own these because uh, I would fucking buy this box set. You know. <laughs> kind of sucks in that sense, but if you haven't seen these, these are all pretty great films. They're yeah. all the Fifth Chord is one of my favorite giallos of all time, so it's that's worth owning for itself. But if you don't own it already, I say pick up the set. Uh, and that's about it for like U.S. stuff. There's a oh another the, another one that they announced as a re-release of He Came from the Swamp, the William Greffy set. Which is like their standard edition of that set, which is a pretty nice set. I have the original edition of this. Uh, it's probably going to be kind of a smaller set from like, like kind of like the La Ross set they released. Uh, it uh, William Greffy's a Florida director. He directed a lot of his stuff in the Everglades. Uh, films that you probably know from him are like Mako, Jaws of Death, uh, Death Curse of Tartu, which is a pretty fun one. That might be a future one for uh, me and Mr. Venom special report show someday. But uh, he also did Sting of Death, which, you yes, this movie is about a giant jellyfish man that kills people. <laughs> and the jellyfish, the look of it is a sight to see because it's pretty much a giant plastic trash bag on a dude's face blown up. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it, it's trash cinema. William Greffy, a lot of this stuff was came out from something weird video. It's good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. So that's about it. But the big one there, of course, is the Yokai Monsters box set in Deep Red and 4K. Uh, some UK releases, they're releasing Dementor, which I actually might pick up because for a single reason they're releasing it, if you get the limited edition, it comes with a Blu-ray of Jugface. Which is a film I own, actually owned a few copies of. I actually own a DVD copy of this. I did own a Blu-ray copy, but the Blu-ray copies that I owned of it twice because I got them for a dollar from uh, bmovies.com did not work. So yeah. this is going to be an upgrade for me that I'm going to be happy to make. So yeah, I'll pick up Dementor uh, with Jugface. It, they Arrow Video has been doing this lately, where they actually have been uh, releasing like when they release a, th- a film in the UK, they'll release it with uh, a film from the previously from the same director. Like uh, for uh, when they did After Midnight, they released it with the Battery. Uh, the woman release that I have, the Arrow Video one, was released with Offspring, which was you know the previous film that the woman's the sequel to, mm-hmm. and the. In the end list, they actually released with Resolution, which makes sense because those films are kind of connected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like that thing. It's kind of cool, cool that they do that. You know, so, yeah, that's all I got. 
Uh, there's a couple more I wanted to point out just because I have them reserved. So uh, um, John Carpenter's The Thing is finally getting a 4K release on September 7th of this year, both in the UK and the US. The UK release is obviously much more expanded. Uh, the American release is, uh, you know, basically just the standard stuff, movie, a few special features, things like that. And then the one that I'm looking forward to the most is Demons and Demons 2 coming out in October uh, for in 4K for, I believe, the, for the first time. But, uh, yeah, I already I already reserved mine US, on Amazon. So Synapse, right? Uh, is that Synapse? Yeah. Yes, there it is, Synapse, yeah, because I, I reserved it on Amazon, so I wasn't sure. Amazon had the best price, so I went ahead and grabbed it there. But yeah, that's uh, that's coming out October 19th, so you've got some horror classics coming out in 4K over the next couple of months as well. Hell yeah, you know, more 4K than Miria. Hell yeah! <laughs> I need to see every pore on every actor's face. <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm very curious, because... Uh, on that thing 4K transfer, because I actually own the Blu-ray and of the Arrow Blu-ray of that, and that's a 4K transfer on like a HD Blu-ray, of course. Though, right. so it's not like the full thing, but it looks because I watched it when I first got my TV, mm-hmm. and that looked fucking amazing on its own, nice. right? So I imagine this one will just be better, maybe. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's it from me. Burning question um, was basically because we're doing um, two movies that, you know, likely inspired Evil Dead. I would say franchise overall, just because of where it goes, you know, through the three movies and even I guess you can include the TV show in it. Um, it was going to be a discussion about the fine line between calling something a ripoff and calling uh, something inspired by, quote-unquote. And the reason I thought of it was partially because of the movies we're doing, but also because I feel like the term ripoff is thrown around so loosely now that, like, if anything is a smidgen like something else, it's it's a ripoff or it's done before. And we kind of touched on this a little already just by, by way of the... Uh, news item that just went off into everything where we were talking about how uh, I think Venom you said like you know there's really only six or seven different stories period that just get retold in mm-hmm. different ways um, I remember on summer series I was bringing up that point about it follows and why I thought that should get a lot of credit for basically like retelling a slasher story without it technically being a slasher. Cause I don't think many people would categorize it falls as a slasher movie. But if you look at kind of how it works where mm-hmm. there's just this unstoppable force going after teenagers and if they beat up with it or if it crosses them, they get murdered. Um, I mean, that is kind of like the prototype of how a slasher movie works, but because of the way it's crafted, um, you don't, uh, you know, you don't instantly think of it like being a slasher movie. But to me, that was like an example of a clever way to take a prototype movie that's been done before, put a new spin on it, and they did a good job. I mean, you know, whether everyone's going to like the pro- the movie itself to varying degrees, but I just think it's 
it's a good example of, you know, you're retelling a style of story that has been done before, but you're coming up with a uh, interesting way to do it. And that's a much different approach than just saying like, Hey, we're going to remake Friday the 13th. I I think it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's, excuse me, two different ways to approach kind of remaking in a sense, a story from a past movie. Not that Friday the 13th was like the first slasher or anything, but just generally Mm -hmm. speaking. Um, and let's see what was that? Did I have anything to add to my opening on that? Just, um, not really, but, but I, I think beyond just stories themselves, I mean, just being film fans in general, we've probably all seen, you know, various YouTube videos or articles where just specific shots or filming styles, they're redone by directors um, all the time. And sometimes you don't realize it the first time you're watching a movie because you might not be familiar with the material they sourced it from. But um, I think the larger point that I started to realize and just kind of made peace with for myself is just as people, we, as you know, as we grow and get life experience, we tend to be products of what we um were raised by what we were entertained by what we watched what we listened to our whole life or our life up until you know through teenagers to into adulthood so it only makes sense that when we start creating and when our generation's output starts happening it's going to draw heavily from the past and what uh what content we help or that that molded our likes dislikes our style our our interests all that i i don't think it's out of bounds to say or to suggest that, you know, if I was to make a movie or a horror movie specifically, I'm probably going to draw from a lot of the stuff I liked growing up, you know? So uh, I, I think, you know, that's where I, I kind of have a problem with like the way people just call something a ripoff because, Oh, I've seen this before. Well, everyone's seen everything for oh, a yeah. certain point. The thing so I'll just open it up to you guys, your thoughts on it. <laughs> uh, it's actually funny that you picked this as a burning question, uh, you know, obviously because of the topic of the films this week, but also because of our last episode. I mean, we looked at two Bruno Mattai films, and then Derek and I also had the quote-unquote pleasure <laughs> of talking about two other Bruno Mattai movies on, uh, on, cinema, on his show, Cinema Attack. So... I see what you're talking about, Mike, that you don't like the word ripoff. I don't like that word either, because ultimately we're all inspired by the stuff that we experienced early in our life, either through childhood, young adult years, whatever the case may be. Our creative input, like you said, is going to be a byproduct of everything that we've taken in in our life, you know. Um, But there are still lines. And um, unfortunately, I know you were not on that show with me and Derek, uh, the other Bruno Mattai show where we looked at a couple of his cannibal films. But my God, in the land of the cannibals, I, 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 to, to all the Bruno Mattai fans out there, and I am one of them, I apologize now for what I'm going to say. But that fucking film is the sheer definition of a ripoff. Not only is he doing... Not only is he emulating scenes from famous movies, he's taking lines directly from them. I mean, I can count at least 10 to 12 examples of in the line uh, in in the uh, excuse me, in the land of the cannibals, where he's literally lifting lines out of movies like uh, Aliens, um, Predator, uh, uh, 
Cannibal Holocaust, like like the line with Hicks where they talk about how he's only had 45 simulated drops, but only one real one. That exact fucking line is in In the Land of the Cannibals, in the same context even. So yeah. that's where you really got to kind of draw the line. Don't get me wrong, folks. I love Bruno Matai. I love watching his films. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're masterpieces, but they're always fun. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a director that at least knows how to create something that's going to give people a good time. Whether we're laughing at it, laughing with it, legitimately scared by it, um, you know, whatever the case may be, but I'm still going to point it out when I see it. And unfortunately, In the Land of the Cannibals is just a flat ripoff. The funny thing is that it's a flat ripoff of three different movies, not just one. So, you know, but but the thing is, is that it's so heavy handed. You can tell when the movie is going from an alien ripoff to a predator ripoff. I mean, you could literally pinpoint the minute, you know, in the film that it happens. So that's when it's a little overboard for me. Homages. I've never had a problem with homages. Mm -hmm. I've never had a problem with scenes and films reminding me of other scenes and films. I mean, that's just, you know, it's just the way our human brain works, you know? Yeah. Um, uh Go ahead. To, uh, I was just going to say, to your point and your examples, I, I will uh, clarify my statement. Ripoffs definitely do exist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, and I'm not saying you thought that, but no, maybe no, no, people I'm, listening, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not here to say that, like, they don't exist because even the one um, we yeah, covered I mean, last episode that was straight too. up aliens. Yeah, yeah, it, it was straight up aliens, like rip, like there was just too much where it was exactly like right. aliens, like yes, that's straight ripping off the material, uh, right? And my, I think where I would scoot is like, well, does that mean we can never have an army fighting aliens because aliens did it? Now, obviously, you would have to craft the story much differently and around, you know, totally do something different. But that Bruno Matai movie. It was like there was no reason for that to even be in there, but he just lifted it anyway, like for <laughs> no reason. Um, yes, that was straight just ripping something off. And yeah. yes, there's there's plenty of movies and shows out there that you that is completely fair to label uh, ripoffs. And uh, that yeah, that's why I kind of uh, framed it as like there is a fine line because oh, yeah. what might be um, in inspired by or homage can definitely cross over into the ripoff side of things in many cases. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my whole point was just bringing up that I, I hate that word as well. I don't like using the word ripoff because like I said, I understand the whole thing of there's only six or seven stories in the world to be told. So, but yeah, I mean, when you're taking lines directly from a more popular movie, that that's a little much. Because at that point, then you almost have to give credit to the writers of the original movie. Like Bruno Matai can't take credit for that line or any of the other lines in his films that are lifted directly from the movie. So sometimes I question the legality of these things. Like, did the filmmakers, did the, the people who make Aliens not see any of these Bruno Matai movies where he directly rips them off? 
Um, you know, I question, you know, like I said, I know parody is protected by law, but straight direct copying, I don't think is. So I always question how some of his movies were legal, but at the same time, you know, it's not like they're big multiplex movies. It's it's not like In the Land of the Cannibals opened on 3,000 screens in 2007 by any stretch. So it's only going to be a very niche market that even sees these movies and recognizes them from the original films. But yeah, I, I just I'm right there with you. I, I, I don't like using that word rip off because ultimately it's art. I've never made a fucking movie, so I can't sit here and say, oh, that's a rip off because. Who knows if my movie wouldn't be a ripoff of The Exorcist if I made one? I don't know. That's my favorite movie. So it's quite possible that if I were to actually find the the funding and the talent to make a movie, it very well could be a demonic possession movie, and it would look a lot like The Exorcist probably. So I, I totally understand your point. There's definitely a fine line between homages and ripoffs. And honestly, there's very few ripoffs. Like, yeah, we can, we can all spout off some examples here and there, but ultimately – there's really only a handful that I would ever label as a ripoff. You know, it's such a, it's such a harsh word and, you know, and I respect filmmakers so much. I never want to look at a filmmaker and say that their art is a ripoff. That's, that's not fair. You know, was Carnosaur two, one of them. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad at least that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, with something like Evil Dead and all the movies that it inspired afterwards, I mean, we obviously did a show with what Wither and Primal as two movies that may have been inspired by the Evil Dead. Ultimately, the Evil Dead was a cultural phenomenon, you know, for the horror community anyway, maybe not pop culture, but for us. It was a major, I mean, I remember 1981, I remember being 11 years old and people talking about this weird movie that they saw in New York City at midnight or something that I didn't see for a couple of years later, you know, for obvious reasons, until it hit home video or whatever. But, um, you know, when a movie has that kind of grasp and, and you've got a large amount of moviegoers singing its praises, yes, you can pretty much count on the fact that eventually some of those people are going to become filmmakers and some of them are going to have things in there that remind them of their favorite movie, the evil dead, you know? So I, I tend to give a light. I tend to give passes on a lot of that stuff. Like I said, uh, you know, I don't remember the last time I watched a movie and it didn't remind me of another movie I saw in my past, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I'm very forgiving of stuff like that, but like I said, when it's line for line, copying that i can't forgive though as funny as i find it because <laughs> it is fucking funny <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i think that's all i got mike i don't want to get myself too pissy because this is a subject that could really turn ugly <laughs> um all right uh what about you derek anything else to add uh-huh. There's definitely ripoffs out there, like you guys said, but there's also homages, and sometimes the homages can get fucking annoying, <laughs> especially when movies that are doing homages that, especially if somebody hasn't seen the movie that they're actually doing homages to, and they're comparing it like this movie's original in plot and detail, and you know I'm I'm talking about the movie The Prodigy that does a homage. <laughs> to a little movie called Shock by Mario Bava within it, which is done way better in Shock. And uh, 
it's pretty much the scene where you know the little kids run into the mom and then turns into the adult. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it, I'm not describing the scene well. It's done like without no cuts. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might do that movie, so I'm not gonna spoil the scene, but too much. But uh, it was done in the Prodigy, and they used some shitty CGI, and uh, it looks fucking awful. This is actually another movie that did the same thing. I forget what it was. I, I remember somebody mentioned it when it came out, but uh, I think actually Brandon did. He he mentioned the other scene that you know did that scene too in another movie. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of homages. Some of them stick, and, you know, some of them I like better than others. There's, it's kind of that thing with, like, remakes, you know. Some are just going to be used. They're kind of like motifs that are going to be used over and over again in movies, and we just got to... They're either going to work for you, or they're not going to work for you. And uh, it depends. It just depends. This, you know, there's, you know, when we get older, there's more of them that grind your gears as long as it's the same thing with like characters and like sl- the, the problem with slasher movies. They're so formulaic. <laughs> they're just going to have those tropes anyways. And unfortunately, I don't think unless they do like a weird twist or anything that they can't. If it's like a generic slasher, it's going to just feel like those slashers with the beats of a regular slasher movie that's the only you know it's it's just there's no way around it you know so it's just gonna feel like a generic slasher because it's using all the motifs and homages from other fucking slasher movies before that unless it had like a twist where they use technology in a new way to tell the story like the initiation did this year uh, you know, there's some rare examples, but then there's other ones where it's like, this is just fucking generic as fuck. Yep. You know? So there's there's ways to look at it in different ways. Sometimes I like homages in movies. Like, oh, that was nice. Yeah, it reminded me of that movie. But then there's other ones where like, you remind me of this movie, but I remember how to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, for sure. Totally, totally agreed on it. Um, I, I think, you know, in summary, it's like, yes, ripoffs exist out there. And most of the time, they're pretty easy to spot. I mean, oh, yeah. even if you don't personally spot it, any analysis or discussion on it eventually is going to show it to be a ripoff. I mean, you, I think you have other cases where it's questionable, like something like, you know, Hunger Games comes out. And the writer claims that, oh, I never even heard of Battle Royale before. <laughs> Is that true? I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't say I, yeah. I can't say he's a liar for sure. Is a is Hunger Games a hundred percent the same? No, but the basic foundation, like the aspect, they're, they're very different. It's pretty you really Look at it. Well. They're different well, in the sense well, that well, ones in like most American of, versions of things are going to be different, though. Well, well the like, thing is with Hunger, Hunger Games, with Battle Royale, Battle Royale takes place in modern times, where this takes place in like a dystopian future. You know? Well, 
I mean, I remember the first time I saw the trailer for Hunger Games, Battle Royale was the first thing I thought of. I mean, it's just, it's, because I've I've never seen a a Hunger Games movie, so I'm I'm not going to try to talk like I know what the hell I'm talking about. All I'm I'm, going to talk from the point of view of someone who only saw the trailer. And when I saw the trailer for that first Hunger Games, I'm like, I saw that 10 years ago when it had Japanese kids in it, and it was probably better, so... And the thing is, the thing is, like, it doesn't have to be 100 percent the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I I think the I think what kind of made people do a double take is like it. I wasn't expecting. Obviously, he would never answer like, oh, yeah, I totally ripped it off. I, I wouldn't expect him to say that. And I don't I don't view it. In the sense that, like, he just remade Battle Royal and he has nothing original. It's it's not really that. It's more that, like, to me, it's kind of... I lean towards he used the basis of Battle Royal as a launching point for the Hunger Games. It doesn't mean necessarily that a Hunger Games is a 100% ripoff. Because I haven't seen all the Hunger Games because I just wasn't interested to keep watching it necessarily. But... The it doesn't mean that like he or to me, there's no harm in just saying like, oh, yeah, I knew of it or I read it. And there's definitely elements that are similar because I enjoyed it and I wanted to do my own spin on it or something like that. But yeah, but the only problem with that is total denial. The only problem with that is Battle Royale wasn't released until after the first Hunger Games book was made because it wasn't released. It was banned in the States. Because it wasn't even released here until well, uh, being banned in the states don't mean shit. <laughs> I mean, these people, well, you, you, I, I I had a copy of Battle Royale before it was released here officially because I had region free DVD players, so you could get I'm it. Just, and I'm, I'm not even talking about the movie necessarily, but even here. just a book. I'm just saying that the, even the book wasn't translated until after that because it was only released in Japan with Japanese writing. I'm just well, saying that there's things you got to look at before you could say that the more, the thing that I think that's more that the hunger games is trying to do was something like the giver, a take on the giver where they do a thing where they're fighting for food pretty much. That's the whole point. And mm-hmm. actually the actual hunger games doesn't happen until the very end of the movie where in battle Royale, it's just, it starts with the killer. Well, yeah. The but I think it's all about the hype about the, you get in sponsorship to get more money. You know, it's kind of like that. You get to build yourself to be a sponsor. You know, they're where they, they actually, the main character of the hunger games volunteers for it, you know? Yeah. But again, like I'm not, I, I, I didn't bring this up really to try to say the hunger games is like a battle Royal remake and they're not admitting it. I just meant, elements of it which goes back to the larger conversation that lots of things incorporate elements of past properties i don't think there's really a problem with that it was more just like the flat-out denial that he'd ever heard of it and i'm like eh, i don't know if i believe that you've never heard of it and couldn't have possibly taken elements from it which i don't even think is a problem it's because that's a normal thing to do it was it was more just the answer he gave but yeah, I, don't I, feel, want I, feel, I feel that way about Evil Dead Trap, which is a Japanese film from '88. Yeah. Where the director says he's never seen an Italian horror movie before. 
<laughs> uh, right. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's my point. It's like it doesn't mean he was watching Italian horror movies around the clock to study and figure out how to, you know, make his own version. But does that also mean he's never seen one? It's like, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that that extended the burning question topic a little more because I thought I thought we were done, but good. Did, uh, Did you like that? Uh, I, I defended Hunger Games' stance on that one. <laughs> Look at you, man. Look at you. Um, okay, well, I think that's going to wrap it. We almost kind of had like part one and part two of the burning question because we, we kind of covered half of it before we even officially got to it just by happenstance. So Daisy will be good on us. Episode. Yeah, Daisy will be happy because like the past – Two or three you episodes. Like, you yeah, have the fucking burning question. What the fuck? You like the dry fruit? You fuck yes. You fuck that doesn't sound like Jim Pe- Joe Pesci. <laughs> they fuck you. Hey, they man, fuck what? you at the dry fruit. Hey, oh, man. All right, man. You guys brought the burning question back. All right, man. Um, Just for you, Dave. Yeah, so hopefully it being, I guess, twice as long will be a good uh, <laughs> be a good return that for Dave. we got to think of a better one the next show. Yeah. And I expect Daisy to leave us a big fat ass novel size length comment on <laughs> the uh, post for this episode because, I mean, you know, I'm sure Daisy's discussed this topic many times on Exploding Head, so oh, yeah. he, I'm sure he has opinion on it too. Um, but anyways, yeah, so that's gonna I think wrap up the burning question, which means we only have one thing left to do this episode. Let's get to our features, but we're gonna take a break first and be back to talk Equinox. And hustle. Equinox! What happened to Dr. Waterman? Only this man, last to see him alive, knows. Equinox! The invisible barrier between good and evil. The invisible barrier between light and the forces of darkness. The supernatural before your very eyes as four teenage boys and girls fight a devil cult for their sanity, for their lives, for their eternal souls. Equinox, a story that defies logic, confounds belief. I can't believe it. It was just a fall. What is the secret of the thousand-year-old book? What are the unspeakable horrors conjured by the forces of evil? What is the fiendish power of the ring that enslaves and destroys? What is the one symbol that can hold at bay the hosts of hell unleashed on Earth? Equinox. Proving again that there is more in heaven and on earth than is dreamt of in our philosophy. Equinox! Equinox! Begins where Rosemary's baby left off.
back and we're going to go with the first movie from 1970 equinox four friends are attacked by a demon while on a picnic due to possession of a tome of mystic information told in flashbacks by the soul survivor so yeah this one uh i picked this one i haven't seen a long ass time i faintly remembered it and I remember that it was kind of listed as a movie that had some Evil Dead elements into it. Now, obviously, this predates Evil Dead by what? About a decade? 1970? Yeah, because Evil Dead was 81? Filmed in 79. Oh, film. okay. So, yeah, directed by Jack Wood. Woods. Stars Edward Connell, Barbara Hewitt, Frank Bonner. So... Yeah, basically they uh, get together, and go out, discover this mysterious book. I, I wonder what the name of this book is and what the <laughs> book can do. Uh, end up in a cave, crazy old man, crazy different things happening. Um, and we get some weird, uh, I guess, dimensional, demonic. It, it's, it, it's kind of... Uh, like, it's not a specific, you know, this isn't like um, specifically saying it is uh, like the evil behind what's going on is this or that. It's kind of a mix of different things going on. And, you know, when I pick these two, it, it's almost like it's more elements from these movies. You know, don't I would not say watch Equinox thinking it's uh, Evil Dead. 10 years earlier because that's not exactly what this is it's you could never say evil dead's a remake in that sense of equinox it's more elements of this i think you know uh, of what's going on the group of friends you know finding the book unleashing craziness uh the stop motion this is really cool definitely a relic of a bygone era something you don't see a lot of anymore um but, you know, I don't want to get too far into it before handing it off. So, Venom, tell me what you thought about Equinox. I'm pretty sure you've seen this before, right? Actually, yes, I have seen this, but this might as well have been a first-time watch because if I remember correctly, I think I actually saw Equinox in the late 70s. And I remember because, um, let me just tell you a quick uh, story here. Uh, the first time I saw Equinox, I saw it the same day as the first time I watched Herschel Gordon Lewis's uh, Blood Feast. 
And I remember thinking that Blood Feast was so much a better movie at the time. Like I said, I was like nine or ten years old. And I just remember thinking, oh, Blood Feast was great with all the blood and Fwad was such a crazy character and blah, blah, blah. And I remember Equinox being kind of dull, um, you know, probably because I watched it right after Blood Feast. Um, but now as an adult, I watch them both and I still love Blood Feast. I mean, you know, anybody who heard... Derek's Herschel Gordon Lewis episode that I uh, was a guest on knows my love of HGL. Absolutely love him. Even his less than stellar movies, I still really enjoy. But it's like, as an adult, I can actually see how Equinox is actually telling a better story. Like, as I'm watching it this time for the first time in, what, over 30, 40 years almost, I'm recognizing that even though not a whole lot happens in the first two acts, it's got really nice pacing. Like I was never bored at any point, even though there are some scenes where, you know, people are just kind of chatty talking to each other. I still was fairly invested. Not so much that I was like behind the four main characters. Cause you know, the, the four main characters were fine. Um, they weren't necessarily hateable by any stretch, but I also didn't find myself overly caring about them either. Um, obviously recognizing um, <clears throat> Frank, who was it? Yeah. Frank Bonner from WKRP in Cincinnati was cool. I had forgotten completely that this was, that he was in this movie. In fact, this movie is his film debut. I don't know if anybody ever actually watched WKRP in Cincinnati, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, Frank Bonner plays uh, Hal, the sales manager from the radio station. Who's like a total scumbag. He's a funny character. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was cool seeing him in this because he definitely is not a Hal type character in this movie. Um, but like I said, uh, I, I thought the pacing was really nice. I thought the storytelling was done really well. The claymation, I mean, it, it, it's obviously not Harryhausen. You know, it's, it's a 1970 movie. So, you know, when you see it, you instantly think of Harryhausen. But you know, movies like Jason and the Argonauts and Sinbad and the, you know, Sinbad and the whatever um, have way better stop motion. And those movies came out earlier. But of course, that's the master uh, doing his craft as opposed to uh, what Dennis Muren, I believe, was the director slash visual effects supervisor on this movie. Um, I will say that I did like the force perspective shots with the giant ogre character. Um, yeah. for, force perspective shots can look really, really bad. Think of like early Godzilla movies with like, you know, little Japanese people running in the foreground with Godzilla in the background. But here it legit looks pretty good. Like there was actually a scene where the giant, uh, the, I call him a caveman. I don't know what you want to call him, but where, where he basically takes a swing at one of the uh, protagonists and hits them. And it actually looks decent. Like, you know, considering it's just, you know, two superimposed images kind of forced perspective over each other. I thought it looked really good. So there's elements of this movie that look really, really nice. Um, I think the performances for the most part are, um, you know, good, maybe a stretch, but competent. You know, I didn't roll my eyes at too many of the line deliveries in the movie. Um, I like the creature effects, even even though the claymation is a little if not claymation, the stop motion is a little iffy with the first monster and then the demon at the end. But I, I still found it endlessly entertaining. Um, you know, 
I, I thought the old guy in the cave was funny as hell. <laughs> he never he never says anything worth a, a shit. He just laughs at them and says, it's your book now. <laughs> I, I love that old dude. Um, Osmodius is probably the character I have the most issues with. And unfortunately, Osmodius is actually played by the director, Jack Woods. So, you know, he's the main antagonist, the main human antagonist of the movie. So, you know, you, you have to deal with him a lot. And my God, some of the faces that he makes in this movie, holy shit. That's where the cringe factor came in. That scene when he attacks Vicky or Susan, I forget which of the girls he actually attacks, but the face that he's making as he's like leaning down to try to kiss her. I'm just like, what the fuck? That is the least human face anyone could possibly make. Um, it was obviously it comes off more as comedy than scary, but you know, you, you know what they're going for at the t at least. So, you know, it was mild, mildly enjoyable. Um, but yeah, man, you were talking about try not to go into this thinking about it as an evil dead inspiration. Um, Mike is absolutely right, because if you go into it knowing that it's an evil dead inspiration, you see evil dead everywhere all over this movie, even with the creatures. I mean, we, we've got that uh, stop motion Satan looking demon at the end, very reminiscent of the stop motion flying demons from Army of Darkness. You know, we've obviously got the Book of the Dead. They don't call it the Necronomicon here, but they do still call it the Book of the Dead. Um, it doesn't look like the Necronomicon. It looks more like a traditional leather bound book. It's not human skin written in human blood, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it, you can still definitely tell that they were going for some kind of ancient evil tome. Um but despite all its shortcomings, I still find it to be a fairly fun movie, um, especially if it's one that you haven't seen in a long time. I'm not sure that it's one that I'll return to that often. But for not having seen it for almost 40 years and watching it this week, I actually had a pretty good time with it. Um, and, and then some of the goofs in the movie are so hysterical. I mean, this movie was shot for $6,500. And even in 1970, that's a micro budget. That's next to nothing. This was basically a student project, and you can tell, and I don't know if you guys noticed it too, I really hope that you did, but did you notice the constant changing lengths of hair and sideburns throughout the movie? I can tell you why in a minute when I get to my thought. Oh, I'm sure, I, I'm sure we could probably figure out the explanation. Uh, you know, you'll have the exact one, obviously, but... Um, it is so funny. Sometimes within the same scene, you'll actually see Vicky's hair change length from one shot to another. Um, there was a couple of shots where Susan looks like she's wearing a wig. And then in other shots, it looks like it's actually her real hair. So and then, like I said, the sideburns too. the two main guys literally in the same scene, you'll see the sideburns change length. They'll be long, then they'll be short and they'll be long again. So, you know, there's a lot of um, continuity issues like that in there. But at the same time, like I said, this is such a low budget movie that I'm fairly forgiving of stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, I'm just going to cut it off now and say overall, I had a really fun time with Equinox. I see the Sam Raimi inspiration, how this movie could have and more than likely did inspire Raimi to make Evil Dead. And because of that, rather than having uh, like a love hate relationship with it, I, I actually kind of find myself um more like liking it more because of the you know the what i see as the blueprint of what will become the evil dead so yeah fun movie uh definitely enjoyed my hour and 22 minutes with it i mean short run time so you can't complain about that 
Um, it gets the story right away. There's not really a whole lot of waiting, even though I did say not a whole lot of action occurs in the first couple of acts. All the action in the third act more than makes up for it. So, yeah, fun movie. I recommend it. All right, Derek, what did you think of Equinox? Yeah, this wasn't a first time watch for me. I actually seen this movie. Yeah, I forget what channel. I think it was like HBO or Cinemax or one of them. They were playing this one time, and it was like, what the hell is this movie? And then a giant claymation ogre came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, oh, this is cool. And, you know, this guy's the devil and shit. And I was kind of hooked, and I always remember this movie. And then, ironically enough, I found out the Criterion Collection actually put this out on DVD. <laughs> Which is crazy this movie got a Criterion release. Yeah, both of our movies this week got Criterion releases. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> they go off what Venom said when I was doing research, and actually because I own the Criterion release of this movie, there's actually things that you should know that Equinox is actually a longer version of a movie that was released in 1967. A lot of the stuff was originally shot in 67. It was released in 67 as the Equinox, a journey into the supernatural. And then Jack H. Harris, who you might know is the guy who produced the blob, seen that version and decided he liked it a lot, but he wanted to add a few things. And what he did was he had Jack Woods, add a few scenes into the movie and make it a feature-length movie. <laughs> and that's why you have those scenes where you see people's hairlines changes because that's the new footage that they shot. <laughs> and pretty much that's why, because Dennis Muren's actually the original director of the original version of this. And that's why maybe some of those effects kind of look a little different than they do because they're not really 1970 effects. They're three years earlier, and they're pretty much actually the first films of these effects artists. Uh, the guys who did the stop motion are David Allen and Jim Danford, who went on to do, like, uh, Cue the Winged Serpent, and Jim Danford did When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. Uh, David Allen actually did a lot of stop motion stuff on the pup, the first few puppet master films, you know, and, uh, yeah, that kind of explains why it kind of looks a little like when you're looking at it, like this kind of looks kind of like it's somebody's first time doing this. And it kind of was because this is is all (laughs) their student film. You know, they made this when they were in college still, you know, and then Jack H. Harris started and decided to expand it, which is why you get those scenes of actually, Ironically enough, Amadeus is not even in the original version of the movie. So that's all (laughs) added, too. Yeah, Yeah, this movie has a good pedigree, man. A lot of of good names. You know, if you research, there's a lot of great names in there. And actually, fun fact, you know whose other first movie, because he worked on it? Ed Begley Jr. was the assistant cameraman. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Because I know you just watched Best in Show. Yep. <laughs> That's great. You know, and uh, actually the composer of this is uh, the same guy who worked on 
a lot of Charles B. Pierce uh, films. This is his first come one of his first things that he composed was Equinox. He did like the you know the the town that dreaded sundown, Legend of Boggy Creek soundtracks, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know it was a big fan of this film is the guy who's the voice of uh, the daughter on the tape and that's Forrest J. Ackerman himself, famous Monsters of Inland. But yeah, that's why it's kind of interesting when you look into the history of this movie because when you watch it, you could, if you watch the original version and you watch this, it's crazy Like when you see it because then you see everything they added and and it kind of looks weird and jarring in that sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And the good thing about the Criterion release is it actually has both versions of this movie. Oh, nice. So, yeah, that's, I actually watched both of them for this. How long is the original version? Uh, it's 11 minutes shorter. Okay, cool. So pretty much a lot of, like, the you know the scenes where he's in the mental hospital and, like, the doctors and stuff. Sure. Because Jack H. Harris actually plays mm-hmm. the detective, the guy who produced that version. <laughs> you know, uh... Yeah, it's a lot, and it actually, and you know, a few things where you see like people's hairs and wigs change, those are all like not in the original version. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, a little bit more straightforward, but uh, yeah, Equinox. I I enjoy this movie. I enjoy the like, knowing even like this version. I actually appreciate it a little bit more knowing that that that. This J.K. Harris actually gave this film a new light and made it more popular than it was, and be seen more too in that sense, like he did with like The Blob and other movies that he produced, yeah, like Dinosaurus. you know. But yeah, I mean, to, to, to kind of caveat Derek's point about the pedigree of this film too, he listed, you know, some of the names of people that have gone on to do other uh, great things too. Uh, the original director of this film, Dennis Muren also went on to do the visual effects for E.T. and Jurassic Park. Star Wars. So, and and Star, Star yeah, Wars that's too. right. So, I mean, yeah, this, this movie has, for, for a silly little movie that a lot of people just kind of brush off, there's a lot of future talent in this movie. It's definitely, it, it's a great, like, uh, building block to watch to see, like, uh, you know, what all these people did on, like, their first feature film before they moved on to, like, Oscar-winning stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. I like it. Michael. Yeah, I, I think uh, another element, the kind of like the flashback style of him kind of recounting events, it, it reminded me of the the original um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Sure. When uh, mm-hmm. we get him kind of with the, the authorities all frantic and disheveled, and he's explaining like what led up to that. So that element, see, and that would be like another example of like doing something in the style of, but I would never call this like a rip off, you know, but you're, it's possible. He saw that and was like, Oh, that's a cool element. Um, but yeah, I, I love the stop motion in this. I love, love the, the first kind of bit we get, I believe was like when there was like tentacles by the house or whatever. And I just yeah. kind of thrown out there. I, I love how just like, random the monsters are in this because we do kind of get like the devil flying at the end or not at the end end but you know towards the end but before that it's like lots of just random stuff there's no there's no like one single like book uh, 
or historical thing or um uh what am i thinking no, not so much religion but just you know there's nothing that this has a hundred percent based out of like oh it's this mythology or whatever it's just kind of throwing different things in there and it, it keeps it very interesting because you don't necessarily know what's coming next and you know i like you know i think this is a jumping off point for you know movies to come just you know you could say like this was where evil dead might have like perfected the craft of friends go to the cabin in the woods like this almost kind of like got that style like started um in a way when they were driving in the car too it just reminded me of the opening shot of evil dead when you know in their in the uh car of course this one's like much nicer because they're kind of like a much more i i seem like kind of preppy-ish group of friends you know well to do was it a cadillac that they were in a convertible cadillac maybe i think so either one like a classic car from that era um good looking car um but yeah i think this movie's is pretty fun it's kind of wacky and um i think it you know deserves to be seen especially if people like seeking out like where inspiration came from some of their favorite movies but i find it's a pretty quick watch it's under 90 minutes yeah yeah actually both of these movies are pretty short which was Mm -hmm. Uh, i've been watching a lot of long movies lately michael so i was like oh this is great yeah and it definitely felt it's funny, too, because as the movie started, it actually felt like our Herschel Gordon Lewis movie to me in score and cinematography. I don't know if anybody else felt that, but like within five minutes, I'm like, God damn, this feels like Color Me Blood Red or, you know, one of his later films that maybe isn't as good. But um, you telling me that this was actually shot three years earlier or at least a majority of the scenes, that totally makes sense because this feels like a 60s movie. Yeah. Um, like I said, in tone and score and atmosphere, everything. So yeah, um, that, that totally makes sense. But yeah, I just, we, we, we do still kind of have to talk about all the similarities with evil dead. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of this episode is talking about movies that may have potentially inspired evil dead and man. I mean, when if if you watch this movie and just make a list of every scene that reminds you of something you saw in the Evil Dead franchise, I mean, you'd have a couple of pages full of notes. The doctor it's, explaining everything on the tape. That's the doctor <laughs> on the tape, the flashback, the bridge, even though the old car going over the bridge, even though yeah. the bridge doesn't go out in this movie like it does in the original Evil Dead, the way that it's framed when they're first going over the bridge on the way to their destination it's very Evil Dead. I couldn't get over it. It even almost looks a little bit like that bridge because they actually you actually get a long shot of the bridge, so you see it from far away. But um, uh, what else? Um, what did we think of Osmodius? Like, I'm still on the fence on him as far as his human interactions. Once he actually becomes what he is or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but. I don't know. I'm on the fence. Like, I don't know. I, I legitimately I'm sitting here right now and I can't tell you if I like him or not. I'm like, so on the fence. He's such a weird character. Like, I love the old band because he's weird. But Osmodius is a weird uh, he's weird in a way that it's almost kind of off putting, you know, Because he's not an actor. It's, it feels like he's, you know, he's supposed to. Be, well, spoilers, if you haven't, he's the fucking devil. <laughs> <laughs> You, uh, I love the re- realization. Oh, Osmodius, that's another name for the 
The devil. Yeah. Like you hear that name every day in your life, you know. But uh, you know, uh, it, it feels like he's very wooden. That's the thing where it's awkward. The scenes with the other actors, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't feel natural the way he's trying to grip him into his side per se. It feels weird. You know, I don't know. Uh, it's weird that it's a, like he's like in a forest ranger. The devil's a forest ranger. The only thing I could think of is just that he is aware that the book is in that general area somewhere. He doesn't know exactly where maybe. So yeah. that's why he's a ranger there. He probably figured, well, I can place myself here and it'll make sense, you know, when I find the book or whatever, as opposed to just being a red, you know, winged, winged demon flying around the forest constantly. But yeah, that makes sense, though. If, if you're saying that Jack Woods is not an actor, like by trade, that totally makes sense because he comes off as somebody who's trying to give an over the top performance, but maybe doesn't know what that actually means. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he, he's the, the guy they hired to film like right. the extra scenes for the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he they brought a few like the, the main cast back to do the interaction scenes with him in it and stuff. And it, this feels awkward, especially when they edit it into like the old footage too, because it looks like it jumps from footage to footage. Like, yeah, you know, and that's even like the, you know, Jack H Harris is not an actor and, you know, he's plays the main detective in this movie, you know, and that's like, Hey, I'm here. You know, yep. my cameo. <laughs> you know, but it's weird. You know, it's like yeah. people that are not actors acting. You're like a, I deal with that with like a lot of indie movies that I watch too. It kind of has that feel to it. Mm-hmm. It either works or it doesn't for you. Yeah, absolutely. I found it kind of weird that at the end of the movie, it turned into the green Knight, where, where he literally, te- where, where Satan literally tells him you will die in one year and one day. I'm like, well, somebody recently read the green Knight Cause that's exactly what happens in the green Knight. The green Knight tells Sir Gwaine, I will see you. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've read the story before, so I'm familiar with it. But yeah, one year and one day, exactly. I'm like, really? Okay. Did you see the old movie of that? I have not. I've seen. I've seen. You, you know who plays of, the you know who plays the Green Knight, right? I don't. Sean Connery. You will die in one day. One oh, then I saw a different one then. Because, yeah, the one that I saw, that definitely wasn't Connery. It was, like, ultra colorful. It looked like it might have been, like, late 60s from the U.K., I'm not sure what the one you're talking about is. Um, and, and, and I didn't Sean actually. Is the Green Knight. I haven't seen it actually you and myself. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I guess it could be the one because the Green Knight did have a lot of makeup on. Um, I didn't actually, like I said, I didn't actually see uh, the classic film, but I've seen multiple scenes from it in, you know, random YouTube videos and whatnot. Because uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but on YouTube, a lot of people are putting out like, storytelling videos of uh, Sir Gawain and the, and the Green Knight. I, I guess they're just jumping on the uh, popularity of the film or the expected popularity of the film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I, that was odd. That, that was an odd choice. You will die in one year and one day. And then the way the movie ended, God damn it. <laughs> that was annoying. It's, it's been one year and one day to date. <laughs> and then here comes your dead ex-girlfriend, or at least, well, maybe not dead, but assumed dead. <laughs> yeah, I was dying. 
<laughs> that was weird. Yeah, like I like I knew we weren't going to see anything. Like I knew we weren't going to have like a death scene at the end. I knew they were going to leave us on like some kind of weird cliffhanger. Not that it's much of a cliffhanger because we know what's going to happen. But yeah, I, I just I, I remember as the movie ended, I'm like, ah, I, I would have rather had a more satisfying ending. I don't know. But, I mean, it didn't ruin the movie by any stretch. It, it just kind of fizzles out. You know what I mean? Like, you get this frantic third act, but then the actual ending is very subdued and, you know, kind of quiet. But, you know, it, it, that's just a personal thing for me. Um, that, that third act was so crazy that I wanted to see, like, a, a final scene that was just going to be crazy over the top. But, eh, it happens. Yeah. Ah. Uh, okay the call okay i I still have a question yeah um now we see the beginning of the movie which is actually the end of the movie um you know with him getting hit by the car and waking up in the hospital and whatnot yeah now the devil at the end of the movie once we actually see the entire movie the devil actually tells him you know you're gonna die in one year and one day but then as he's walking away here comes this radio control car and the when they showed the inside shot of the car with no one driving and they showed the gas pedal the gas pedal was floored so it's like how are you going to tell this guy that he's going to die in a year and a day and then run him down with a car I thought that was fucked up. <laughs> it is Satan, but still. <laughs> Likes to fuck with him, yeah. It's like, shit, you told him he's going to have a whole another year, and it looks like you're trying to kill him now. Because <laughs> that car fucking railed him. You know, going... I mean, granted, it was just a Volkswagen bug, so how fast could those cars really go? But still, that shit looked like it hurt. <laughs> Probably did. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, we didn't even talk about the um, some of the other similarities. The necklaces, how, you know, the necklace and the evil dead played an oh, important yeah. part yeah, in yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we got the talismans. The little cross thing, yeah. You know, yeah, like, some, yeah, some people had the cross, and then some people had that weird oval-shaped thing. Bear that, witch fucking thing. Yeah, pretty, pretty close, yeah, to the bear player witch thing. So, I, yeah. yeah, that was another similarity that I found that I, that I found. I died laughing when they were having their actual picnic and they just pulled a giant bucket of KFC. <laughs> that was funny. He was like, oh, I got my fried chicken on. <laughs> and I love, I love how uh, Asmodeus had a magic ring. Like, instantly I'm like, is he in the Green Lantern Corps? And I don't know. Imagine. <laughs> It's like he had a, a magic ring. They don't even explain the ring or it's anything. It's like Anubis, ain't it? Isn't it like Anubis, the ring, and doesn't have like a dog on it or something? Well, was it a dog? I thought it was a snake. I didn't look at it long enough. But yeah, yeah you're probably right. I, 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 It did look vaguely Egyptian. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just remember, well, suddenly he has a ring that, you know, makes him have power over women. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not always a fan of when movies just add abilities out of nowhere, but <laughs> it is safe. So I oh, even, even like when the, the chick becomes like possessed and evil and shit, and she, they give her that grill face, like <laughs> yeah, she did uh, it too. That, that ring, that ring was the original Schwartz. Yeah, I've got the upside. You've got the downside. Oh, so good. Well, I, I hate when I get my Schwartz stuck together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah, 
How oh, about I was just going to say, oh, uh-huh. oh, sorry. I was just going to say, going back to earlier, that's kind of an element I appreciate where they just kind of throw in a whole bunch of different stuff and mythology in this. There's no specific ground rules it plays by. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, was anybody else laughing their ass off when the ogre... Uh, did an incredible Hulk to the old guy in the cave. Yeah. <laughs> Slamming him around like the Hulk and Loki. Oh, my God, that was great. Yeah, this movie not only in, influenced the evil dead, influenced that scene in, in Avengers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it was funny, too. I found it odd that right after they witnessed the old guy get completely decimated by the ogre, nobody really says anything. But then, like, five minutes later... Vicky just out of nowhere goes, that thing killed the old man. Almost like her brain shut off for like five or ten minutes or something. Like just out of nowhere, she reacted to the old man (laughs) getting killed. Like, "Ah, okay, whatever, I'll take it. It happens. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Delayed reaction. I'll chalk it up to shock, I guess. But I mean, shit, if I saw that in real life, it would be so hard for me not to laugh. I would just be laughing my ass off. (laughs) That's what you get, you old fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right. What do we say we wrap this one up? Yeah, let's go. Let's let's wrap some acid and go into the next movie. (laughs) Yeah. So, if this one was an Evil Dead inspiration, we could say the next one could be an Evil Dead 2. Like, almost like what Raimi didn't have the budget or constraints to do in the first one, he's like, now we can do in the second one because, Mm -hmm. man, this next movie from 1977. House. <laughs> I'll say it like that. House. Um, yeah, House. Uh, Schoolgirl and six of her classmates travel to her aunt's country home, which turns out to be haunted. It sure is. Haunted with lots of cool and weird effects that, uh, man, it, it gets pretty wild here. It, it definitely builds up to more wild stuff to when I see her taking the severed head out of the little well. Um, <laughs> just a cool ass shot. Oh, that's good. But yeah. uh, I don't, you know, I've obviously seen this one before, you know, before a couple times, but I can't recall like how I had first heard of this movie. Um, it, it came across somehow. Maybe it was like a DVD release or something and that put it on uh, the map for me, but uh, at the time, like I don't remember many people ever talking about this at all. Um, and now, obviously, through the years, more people have seen it, it's had multiple releases, um, so it, it's out there a lot more now. Mm-hmm. But man, when I when I first saw it, it kind of blew my mind. And it, the first thing that came to my mind was like, wow, this looks like. And I looked up when it was made, and I was like, man, this definitely could have been something like Sam Raimi had seen and kind of drew from just because of the the haunted house it there's almost like a playful nature to it that you see in raimi's evil dead movies right at least the second one i mean if if we're all under the agreement that the second one is more splatter house horror than yeah straight horror where there's comedy integrated and well, there's a playfulness to the candarian demons (laughs) (laughs) exactly uh these these demons will definitely, they're there to kill you, but they're going to have a good time doing it. They kind of fuck with you in that sense. And I felt that kind of vibe um, with this movie where, yes, nothing really good comes of being haunted. 
but there's a playful nature to it, which I think tonally is really close to kind of what they go for in the second evil dead movie. But, uh, I'll go with Derek first on this one. I know it's not your first time watching it, so I shouldn't even ask, but what did you think of, uh, this movie for the rewatch? And I didn't have enough drugs. This rewatch. <laughs> this movie is a fucking trip and a half. Yo, this is, you know, just when you hear the story that he made this movie, because he had the idea to make this movie from his 12-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. Tells you everything about this movie. Uh, his 12-year-old daughter had a fear of being eaten by the mirror in her bedroom. Yeah. That's that's pretty epic. You know, and he's like, I'll just take that and make everything dangerous in this house. Like, <laughs> want to see a piano eat somebody? That's this movie. Oh, my God. It's so cartoony. I... It's very psychedelic. I'm like, this is like Scooby-Doo on fucking acid, this movie. Legitimately, like, I'm like, what the fuck is this music right now? Is this the monkeys? What the fuck is this? Oh, my God, the score. Wow. You know, like, like, even, like, some of the setting and, you know, I love, like, the Matt Payton shit in this movie. It's like, damn. who? I want the drugs they were on when they were making this movie. Yeah. You know, like, like this movie is fucking trippy as all fuck. This is like a fever dream upon fever dream upon fever dream. And even like, it's weird when you, cause I didn't pick up on this on the first time, but then when I rewatched them, like the characters' names are all weird. Like one girl's name is yep. Kung Fu <laughs> and one girl's name fantasy. And the main girl's name gorgeous. And Proof, short for Prof, professor, yeah. <laughs> you know, and fucking melody, and the 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 one that wants to eat everything's fucking Mac. I felt bad for Mac. <laughs> she stole a watermelon, yo. <laughs> hey, she and, said she paid for it. <laughs> did she? You never know. <laughs> I'm sure she didn't. You know, she wanted to, you know, and then there's the crazy aunt that goes inside fridges and flies everywhere, and I fucking. Love her. Yeah, she's great. Uh, and you got Mr. Togo, who's like the weirdest character ever. There's some weird fucking shit. In, this movie's weird, but Kung Fu's my spirit animal. Oh, I love Kung Fu. Oh, I, 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 I thought karate, I was Karate in her underwear is fucking amazing. It's funny because one of the girls' name was, was gorgeous, and she was not the prettiest of the bunch. I'm like, why the hell do they call you gorgeous? But whatever, I'll take it. Yeah, Kung Fu is the hottest one. Oh, by far, Kung Fu is the cutest. God damn. <laughs> but I, I, I God, I, I felt so bad that they were calling Mac fat. It's like, if you're an Asian girl and you don't weigh 98 pounds, you're fat. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at Mac and I'm like, if I dated that girl, she'd be the thinnest girl I ever dated. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. I felt so bad because the whole movie, they're making fun of her. They're they're saying all she thinks about is eating. And I'm looking at her thinking, at the most, you're five or ten pounds overweight. What the fuck? Yeah, you know, and then her death is the eater. Oh, God. So sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah fucking, the, this movie's fucking nuts. The stuff oh. with the piano reminded me of, like, Evil Dead with the piano. Um oh. Just little instances like that, yeah. yeah. And just so the much main, in the house. Yeah. Just the main piano theme. Do 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 do. You hear it so much, it gets stuck in your fucking head, and you start humming it. 
Yeah, what's the name of that song? Yeah, something dun, like Dreams, dun, Dreams, dun, Days Gone dun, By, something like that. Something like that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, this score is awesome. I, it, it's funny because it's the, one of the most American scores I've ever heard for a, a, an older Japanese film. Older as in, you know, older than the 80s. Because um, mm-hmm. every song that has lyrics in it is American. It's all English lyrics. And I just remember thinking, man, that the score in this movie is equal parts kid show, soap opera, sitcom, and and then at times, uh, shit. All, all they needed was the banana splits to be in this movie, and it would be fucking like amazing. <laughs> like they just come out of nowhere, like la 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 la. Yeah, sweet. Gonna have. Yeah, yeah, sweet dreams of days gone by is the name of the song they yeah. were playing on piano. I when I first heard it, I recognized it as the Forrest Gump song because they play that song in Forrest Gump at the end during the end credits too. So yeah. I'm like, oh shit. That's Forrest Gump. And then I looked it up and it's like, oh, because this is also the song that um, that Susan Boyle lady sang quite, you know, uh, I don't know if anybody remembers that story of Susan Boyle, the uh, the English woman from Britain's Got Got Talent. Talent, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or it, it might have been America's Got Talent. I don't know. But yeah, that that's the song that she sang that made her like a fucking international star. And yeah, when I heard it in this, I'm like, what the hell? Like every song in this movie is American, which, like I said, as an American, it kind of, you know, it kind of endears you to the movie. You know, you don't have to listen to like Bollywood music or, you know, too much traditional Japanese or whatever. But yeah, it was really weird because it felt like they were trying to make an American film, like definitely had a lot of Western influences in there. You know, the haunted house motif, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I, I fucking love this film. Um, this is one I own. I, I actually, I don't have the cool Arrow edition that Derek has, but I, I've got a regular edition that I bought years ago. Yeah, I love this movie. This was um, <laughs> frantic in all the best ways. I mean, some of the kills in this movie between death by mattress, death by piano, death by well, by wishing well or whatever. <laughs> it just, yeah. Hmm. The variety of kills in here, the way the fact that both the aunt and the house seem like they're having a blast, like they're they're literally enjoying killing these girls to the point that even after the girls die and come back, they're laughing as well. Like every every dead girl in this movie has a smile on her face. It's kind of funny. Um, Yeah, it's very high concept, but they pull it off, which is. You know, any, anytime something or a movie really goes for it, there's always that chance that it, it doesn't land. But mm-hmm. this one, it it manages to hit on everything it does. And I, I think visually it's just so stunning. Like even um, just the scenes where they're talking on the porch and you see like the orange skies with kind of like the purple or like orange clouds with like the purple kind of sky in the clearing. Yeah. It just it looks so beautiful. And it it in any other movie you'd be like, what the hell? But in this it just fits perfectly with everything going on. Like once the crazy starts happening, you buy into everything else going on just because right off the bat it just turns upside down and you're just kind of there for everything and you kinda of don't want it to end because like I like we already brought up, it's not that long of a movie. So they pack everything in to kind of like the second and third act. Oh my God, this is amazing. I just, I was reading some trivia. Mm-hmm. 
the Venom might be interested in this. Uh-oh. The director of this movie proposed a story that would have been the 16th Godzilla film. Ooh. <laughs> you want to know what the story is? Oh, what was it? Yes. All right. Had that film been made, it would have been used... It would have used the same crew from this movie, which, and then we had the same guy do the music, do the music for this movie. <laughs> uh, so this story told of a little girl named Momo who discovers the dead body of Godzilla. After being dissected, Godzilla is revealed to be a pregnant female alien named Razan who died of diabetes. The brain of the dead Razan instructs the humans that she must be returned with her unborn son to the planet of Godzilla, so her body is converted into a spaceship. The newborn child would be reunited with its father, and they would have fought a female monster that shot fire from her breasts. <laughs> Ultimately, this project was discarded by Toho and was instead released as a short story in a Japanese edition of Starlog magazine. The artwork done by future Akira director Kashiro Otamo. <laughs> wow. Cool. I would have watched mean, this. I, I would watch it, of course. Shit. If fire coming out of breasts, I'm sold. Director okay. of House doing a Godzilla movie? Yeah, yeah, that would have been crazy. That would have been awesome. I didn't realize Toho made this, too. I was surprised seeing that logo at the beginning. I was kind of shocked. I had forgotten, I guess. Yeah, you know what made... Because uh, he wanted to make this movie for Euros, and what originally made Toho pick it up and mm-hmm. want to make it is the success of Jaws. Nice. <laughs> I like I like how they dropped... They name-dropped Sergio Leone in the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or just his dad, I guess, works for Sergio Leone. That's cool. Yeah, he's cool. like, you like my music better than Maricone's. <laughs> uh, that was a cool little reference that not everyone is going to catch. I like that. that yeah, the, the synopsis for that potential movie sounds so absurd. There's no way I couldn't watch it if it was ever made. <laughs> what, that Godzilla movie? <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> Oh, and what about my Man. favorite character in the movie? Watermelon Dude. Yes. He has my favorite line in the whole movie uh, when Mr. Togo shows up and he just looks at him and goes, the girls were eaten. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> he didn't, how, how would he know they're delicious? He didn't get to eat any of them. Unless he's part of like the scam and he's a spirit himself. That's true, I guess. I mean, that's true, because him and Auntie were both eating watermelon. That's the only food we actually see Auntie eat the whole movie is watermelon. Who knows? Maybe there's something behind that. <laughs> and then when she opens her mouth, was the eyeball. Oh, that was great. Oh, that yeah. was so... Necro like, watermelon Omicron. Oh, loved it. <laughs> I really well, liked the, the kind of dreamlike effect scenes that they had, where they were doing like that skipping frames thing, where it was yeah. kind of... I liked it. I thought that they utilized that really well. I mean, you could have done the whole movie like that because the whole movie, you know, up until the point where they arrive at Auntie's house, from then on, it's a fever dream. So, but but the the sparse times that they used it, I thought they used it really well. It added to it rather than taking away. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, I thought the mirror gag was pretty cool. Yeah, it's yeah, looking at the mirror and then her face falling off in pieces like a mirror, like a cracked mirror. I thought that was it's animated, obviously. Death by mattress. 
Oh, God, the Death by Mattress is so great. It's too bad we don't actually get to see what the mattresses did to her. But still, that's still some funny-ass shit. <laughs> An avalanche of mattresses. Just caffeine shooting blood out of their mouths and shit? Like... See, that's mm-hmm. the only thing about the movie that's really ever left me with questions. Like, what exactly is the cat's role in all this? Because, I mean, I, I know that every time his eyes would glow, it meant something was about to happen. You know, one of the girls was about to get killed or whatever. But it it almost felt at times like it was the cat that was actually controlling everything. Is is that accurate? Do you think? Well, I think the I think it, the, the cat, cat was kind of like a. It was kind of an embodiment of the aunt. It, she kind of took that form in some scenes too, where you know she could replicate it to look like right. the cat's being hold, but it was like her other piece of her eyes. And to get things done, because the cat's the one who drops the fucking letter off and gets them all together to get to the fucking house to the beginning. Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah, good point. I, I I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, that's valid. Because it wasn't Auntie's cat, right? Wasn't it uh, Prof's cat or one of, one of the girls? No, it was... A go- well, there's pictures of Auntie with a similar cat in, like, the photo albums. They're like, oh, it looks it looks like the same cat. It looks like Blanche, yeah. Blanche was the cat that they brought with them. Uh, well, Blanche was the one who dropped the letter off because Blanche is not really is part of the house. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm such an animal lover. I see a cat. I just want it to be a cat. <laughs> but it is a horror movie, so yeah, it's got to symbolize something. Or just flat out be something else. So that's why I was a little over the years. I've always kind of had that confusion because it's like they brought Blanche with them, but she's got all these pictures of a cat that looks exactly like Blanche there. And even when they get there, Blanche instantly jumps on auntie's lap, almost like they were old friends. So yeah, yeah, it does kind of make sense. uh, What you're saying. Because Mm -hmm. she's like, Oh, look at you. You look like a pretty cat. Cause you know, she discovers a cat one day. Yep. What are you doing here? And that's when she like, I'm gonna name you Blanche. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Fucking Blanche. Oh man. Good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like how the score started to get funky after a while. Like th- this score is very 70s. Like I said, mm-hmm. it starts out with like kids music at the beginning, and then there's like sitcom music throughout multiple scenes. But then, like, in the third act, there's scenes where it's, like, straight funk music playing, like some good Motown funk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is an eclectic soundtrack. I mean, especially for a Japanese movie from 1977. You know, there's no licensed music on here necessarily, like pop hits or anything. But, yeah, it, it definitely took me back realizing yeah, it's an English school. It's a very nice contrast to, like, what's going on screen. Mm-hmm. Almost like a happy-go-lucky, upbeat soundtrack in places while everything that's going on on the screen. It, it And that's what kind of gives it that playful tone to it. Like, even though it's a mm-hmm. movie about, like, a haunted house, you still can't help but, like, smile and grin at, like, what's going on on the screen because of the the, the technique or the way it's being filmed. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird because the only other score that kind of sounds like this actually is a Maricone score and it's the score to solo. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Where it's like, you know, all those fucking hate, like fucking debaucheries happen. And, and then it's like, instead of like dreadful music, it's like 
playful fucking Maricone music, which is fucking weird. It's like, la, 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 <laughs> like, what the fuck? I think I was so horrified by what was going on on screen that I almost didn't notice the score. <laughs> uh, it was noticeable to me, like, because I always love Maricone scores, and it's like, sure. It's like, what the fuck? Why is it so, like, playing, like, it's not like it's, it was supposed to be a happy ending when this girl's getting sculpted on screen. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and what the hell was up with, uh, I forget who it was. Who was, who was the, who was the piano player girl? Melody. That's Melody. Okay. The, the scene where Melody sniffs, uh, what's her face's panties, Kung Fu's panties. I'm like, what the hell did I just watch? They literally, they're trying to figure out if the panties belong to one of the girls that's missing. Melody actually takes the panties and sniffs them. Yeah. That's girls very know each other. Method. With all these I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that method of trying to locate the owner of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these girls did more than to sniff each other before. Oh, I, I believe it. <laughs> I definitely believe it. That's in the prequel. <laughs> the prequel. The prequel short. The house you is the warmest color. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, but this one's definitely highly recommended. Like another case, yeah, of it's wild and it's much more regularly available now. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. You should HBO. definitely grab this one. HBO Max currently, both of these. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I could. It's, it's, it's kind of cool because, I mean,. It seems like two random movies just to show up on it, which I assume, like, it's because, you know, they're licensed for distribution through some parent company that HBO does business with. But still, just the fact that through all these distribution links, it ends up on HBO Max. You wouldn't think, hearing HBO, that these are necessarily two titles that, like, they would grab to put yeah, on. Yeah, I think it's like, like the TCM. TCM is the one that, you know... Well, they yeah, HBO Max has a lot of Criterion on there. If you actually flip through their catalog, there's a lot of Criterion in there. I know that the, I know Criterion has their own app, so I assume that the stuff on HBO Max is stuff that's not on the Criterion app, maybe. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot on there. Yeah, like all the Godzillas are on there. The mm -hmm. actually, uh, Qui-Don and uh, Yohimbo. Yeah, like all the Three Colors trilogies on there. Yep. I highly recommend. I love all those movies. Yes. Yeah. Now, now if HBO would just shell out the money for the rights to Tales from the Crypt, we'd be all set. Yeah, I've got the I've got the DVD box set. I'm good. Yeah, I got all the DVD sets too. But still, like if they were to like remix it or something, do something with them, remaster them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't know that they uh, well TV well TV and you know when they were filmed it was like on full screen, so they can't oh, really yeah. look as good as. Right. You know, they end up but, looking like the Simpsons when they put the Simpsons, the old episodes in HD on uh, Disney Plus and everybody was railing against it. And Disney yeah. went back and put the original four by three versions on there. I mean, there, there were some instances where you were literally missing jokes because they they put it in widescreen. So you were they basically stretched it. So they cut off parts of the top and bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you were literally missing gags because yeah, of it. That's big for a Simpsons show because they have so much stuff going on in the background that you don't exactly. want to miss it. Oh, absolutely. So, I, I mean, they obviously corrected their mistake, so that's good. <laughs> uh, what nice. else we got for House? 
I think just people people just need to experience this movie. You know, we could talk about it, but we would never do this movie justice and explain it because it's just a trip. Yeah, it's a hard movie to explain. It's almost like the best way to describe it to someone is something that probably inspired Sam Raimi because people know Sam Raimi in the Evil Dead movies. So if you like preface it with saying that, that could automatically like make people interested because it's like how how do you even describe it without without including that at all? It's like well, it's a haunted house movie, but it's kind of funny, but it's kind of crazy, it's kind of wild. I mean, yeah, I think everyone was on drugs that. when they made it. You know, yeah, like, you yeah. should be on drugs when you watch it. So. I call it, <laughs> I call it, um, Evil Dead Looney Tunes. It feels like Evil Dead and like Mel Blanc uh, got together and and created something because there are a lot of we haven't even mentioned the animated sequences. There's multiple animated sequences. Yeah, the whole them. opening title, the house was the, the, yeah, great. And uh, even even right down to the closing credits with the credits kind of going into the house's mouth. At, yeah, I love so it. I thought, I thought that was cool. But yeah, I mean, um, the animated sequences are cool. So that's kind of how I look at it. If people ask me what's it's like, what it's like. It's Evil Dead Looney Tunes. <laughs> fucking awesome nice. is what it is. And just watch it, folks. It's fucking... Yeah, ultimately, it's crazy in all the best ways. It's definitely a movie that all horror fans should experience. There's no reason not to watch it. Even even if you don't get into the story or the acting or the dialogue, it's so over the top. Some of the set pieces are so crazy, you can't help but laugh and have a good time. So, yeah, this movie's an absolute high recommend. Yeah, and it flew under the radar for so many years that I'm glad that it's kind of gotten out there more. Even just based off the you know the big orange stretch cat poster, because there's so many people that see that. You buy a shirt on that the Criterion. You buy the shirt for that on the Criterion site. Oh, nice! I might have to do that because I'd love to have that. Yeah, it, it. just that image alone brings so many questions even, for people who haven't seen the movie. Even the the Eureka release of this movie is is a uh, let me throw it up. I'll describe the Eureka Blu-ray release of this movie is a uh, it's the image of the green the the red house with the big like tongue mm-hmm. and it has the original house logo that you see at the beginning of the movie in the tongue with like, you know, green fields and trees, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the house that we see at the end credits. Yeah. So I can, you know, even that's fucking iconic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's, um, there's a lot of both iconic and haunting images throughout the film and some ass, actually some really, really funny ones too. The fact that Mr. Togo is turned into a pile of bananas that's pretty fucking great. I, I, it's because the last thing that the watermelon guy says to him is, "Oh, do you prefer bananas?" And then you come back and he turned them into a, a human-shaped bunch of bananas. Holy shit, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you know the gorgeous is fucking soon-to-be mother-in-law comes to visit. Oh, I, oh, that was so great. That was a definite guilty pleasure thing. Because as soon as she shows up, and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, Gorgeous is going to wreck this lady. And I guess she kind of did, but it was still a little, 
not ultra satisfying. Like I would have liked to have seen, cause she even mentions how her friends will get up when they're hungry. I, that's what I would have liked to have seen. I would have liked to have seen all seven girls kind of just get up and start going after the stepmom. That would have been awesome. Yeah. It would have been great. So then one last question I have. So at the end of the movie is gorgeous. Like, like is auntie gone or is gorgeous now auntie? Like what is she's like, a she's become part of the house's debauchery of spirits now. Okay. Pretty much. So, so it's not that she actually, it's not that auntie is like possessing her or nothing, That that actually is gorgeous, right? Yeah. Okay. That's what I think. I just want to make sure. It's kind of like like the 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 watermelon dude, the cat. They all are connected to the house because Auntie sure. pretty much is the fucking. Well, spoiler alert: if you haven't seen House, Auntie is the fucking house. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like that explanation that Gorgeous gives uh, later in the film, where she's like, "Oh, Auntie actually died years ago, but her desire to get married has kept her body going." I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, obviously, it's not the real explanation, but just the fact that that's how Gorgeous kind of justifies it. Oh, she wanted to get married, and she believes that her husband will come back so strongly that she won't let herself die. That she's actually just like, you know, a dead corpse walking around waiting for her husband to show up from war. I thought that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. But yeah, it definitely it was just a little confusing at the end when Auntie just flat out disappeared and then Gorgeous is there, kinda the new, you know, matriarch of the house, if you will. So but yeah, that makes sense. If the house just decided it was done with Auntie and it wants Gorgeous now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Mike, what what do you cool. say we wrap a bow on this? Yep, the haunting is over. We are going to get out of here, but we need to figure out where else people can hear us that they didn't know about before, or at least find out what new episodes we got. So, Venom, I'll kick it to you first. Where should people be seeking you out? Uh, Not much from me. As I mentioned in previous weeks, a lot of my shows are on hiatus, uh, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, It's Not Horror, Okay, Theme Warriors, all shows that are just kind of waiting for uh, some scheduling um, things to take effect so that we can actually, you know, all four or five of us, however many of us are on the show, that we can actually all get together. Um, so the only thing I really have to talk about is, of course, the side cast the, to this show, Fresh Cuts, uh, our weekly uh, look at the latest releases in the horror genre. Our latest episode, which just dropped yesterday, looks at the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Old. Is it horror? Is it not? Eh. If you haven't seen the movie, you'll have to wait for the show and hear what we have to say about it. But yeah. Uh, that's currently available on the Dark Discussions podcast network, darkdiscussions.com. Um, and then the only other thing I have to speak of right now is uh, It's Not Horror, okay. Finally, after a two-month layoff, we were able to get together. Uh, NHL playoffs are over. And NBA playoffs are over. All the sports fans can now get back to podcasting. And we recorded our latest episode, which Derek kind of alluded to earlier we are do we did a commentary for christopher guest's classic mockumentary best in show from 2000 2000 yeah from 2000 um it was probably some of the best uh most fun times i've had doing a commentary so 
Um, if you're a fan of commentaries and you have access to Best in Show, by all means, check out that episode as soon as it drops. It'll probably be early next week sometime. And then um, a guest spot that I did recently with our friend Derek, who I did kind of allude to that earlier as well. I did uh, Don and myself from Fresh Cuts. Well, we were on uh, the latest episode of Cinema Attack, which covered, as I mentioned, a couple of more Bruno Mattai films. So we did a couple of Bruno Mattai films on the last episode of this show. And then uh, a few days later, I joined Derek and Don on Cinema Attack for uh, another discussion on Bruno Mattai, which actually ended up being almost a more fun discussion just because of how much the movies upset me. <laughs> so if, if you were if you're a fan of listening to Mr. Venom get upset, then check out the latest episode of Cinema Attack. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, that's it from me, Mike. All right, Derek, what you got? Um. That's about it, really. I have been and Marty pimped out <laughs> my show, so uh, now I know how you feel, like Michael. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but uh, I actually have a few guest spots uh, that I could talk about right now. Uh, pretty much, what I do have is uh, I did a guest spot on Teapot's podcast under the stairs, where I just did a retro you know, Russian roulette franchise on Scream 3, the masterpiece of Scream 3. <laughs> uh, so listen to that. And uh, also, if you're subscribed to the Legion Patreon, I did a special episode of the Ouija Experiment Experiment with Mr. Bo Ransdell, where we talked more in depth about Ouija Mummy and went through it scene by scene and his ever 11 quests of our movies that begin with Ouija good and uh, find out that when we get into it, <laughs> it's funny, but uh, yeah, that's about it for me. Uh, I have a few other shows that are not released yet that are not out, but that's about it. Cool. Um, yeah, I think for me, yeah, just fresh cuts as was already mentioned. And then I did some stuff for summer series that once those start releasing you should hit up i was on 2014 year and then i was adjudicated for 2019 both of which are to come in the next month or so and is there anything else i think burning for springwood but i might have mentioned that last time if i did then it's the same episode that was released and if not there you go letting you know that it's out there there Um, it is yeah and I think that's about it for me as well. And yeah, upcoming fresh cuts, like I said. More no more room in hell. Not 100%. Yep, another no more room in hell probably coming this month. Who's next on the rotation? Venom. Venom. Uh-huh. All right. I don't know if you already know your picks. Oh, I do, but I'm going to keep it under my hat. Okay. <laughs> And you will keep everyone in suspense, and uh, we will probably catch you or catch the listeners in a couple of weeks' time, uh, sometime in August. Hopefully, that's the plan to get two episodes out this month. Um, but other than that, we're going back to the lake of fire to, to burn, to burn, because it's almost damn near that hot here anyway. So, what's 
What's a lake? What's a lake of fire, right, to add to it? Because as long as Kung Fu's with us in that lake of fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Let's get out of here, guys. Say bye. Goodbye. Hail Satan! Hail Asmodeus! <laughs> Peace out.